0: This is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on Dobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: Goldie's coming home. Another rundown. And Motter missed the tag. While Walker and the D-backs catch a break. This is not good base running right here. Motter is gaining ground but just that communication of giving it up too late. Rundowns are all about timing. Timing just off on that one for the Cardinals. Cardinals ran one rundown perfectly. That one wasn't. And now the Diamondbacks with a chance to really put a hurting on us with the bases loaded. Moreno gets it up into that win. Gabriel Moreno, get out of here! Off the top of the wall and gone. His first as a Diamondback. They have broken things open in the fourth inning and it's 7-2. to two.
2: Everyone's still loose and, and knowing that this is going to turn. There's too many good players in that clubhouse for it not to. And we saw an example of that there in the ninth. We were capable of doing just about anything against anybody. Um, so it'll come together.
3: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If yesterday was Groundhog Day, today is a reminder that anything that can go wrong will go wrong for this team. You mess up, and by the way, those audio that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest, you mess up on another rundown play, you give up a double, that ends up being a significant hit on a ball that was, what, a foot in front of the plate, and the only thing that I can recall that was anything similar was Vlad Guerrero doing that in his Angels career something like 20 years ago. That's just a brutal game, a brutal game and a brutal loss once again for the Cardinals. They make it close there at the end, but it's not enough. Why? Because the little things matter for this team right now. When you are as flawed as this Cardinals team is, at least right now, you can't get away with allowing them another free runner and giving up and out in a game that Taylor modern plate mattered. And I'm not talking about when he ran through second base. I'm talking about when he wasn't able to apply the tag on third. Why was that? Well, because that was at the top of the fourth inning at the time. It's two to two. Then I'm at doubles. On a pitch that hit the dirt in the next step, at Walker ends up scoring, the guy that he failed to tag. That run was the ninth or the eighth scoring run of that game, basically. And that's the run that loses you the game against the Arizona Diamondbacks. This kind of stuff continuously happening this year is the kind of thing that cannot happen for a team with such a small margin for error right now. Alex, the little things for the St. Louis Cardinals are becoming big things at a rapid rate.
2: That Taylor Motter play, when it went down last night, I said that's going to be the outcome of this game because it just feels like when the Cardinals have something go wrong that you look at and you're like, what are they bleeping doing? Whether it was Tyler O'Neal dogging it out of the batter's box or dogging it to third home plate like Ali Marmol called out or whether it's some type of misplay that you see happen in a game, you're thinking, yep, that's going to be the outcome of this one. And it was. And it, I, I, I hate to make the comp, but man, it more and more is starting to feel like the Mike Matheny era. And I'm not saying that because Ali Marmol is a bad manager, but I'm saying like, we remember that era where it felt like everything was going wrong for that Cardinals team. It just, it was one hiccup after the other and they could never catch their footing. And right now this snowball is going downhill and I'm still waiting for somebody to find a way to stop it because otherwise this is going to turn into a monster avalanche for this team because the NL central. Despite everybody's belief, is still finding ways to win baseball games. Meanwhile, the Cardinals are having miscues and rundowns at third plate or third base, or still leaving runners on. What were they two for nine and runners in scoring position last night? And then when that's going better, their bullpen decides to lose the game for them.
4: Yeah, when, when your offense isn't playing well, and look, the offense wasn't the main problem last night. But when your offense isn't playing well, and you have a pitching staff that the St. Louis Cardinals have that get pitches to contact is giving up a lot of runs. You cannot allow teams to have a second life and give them a free run. And that's what the Cardinals have done. They just have not been fundamentally sound like we have seen in years past. I I don't think they're a bad fundamental baseball team. I think they are just having lapses right now at the wrong time. And I think these issues will get corrected. I don't think we're going to be seeing mishandling of rundowns by the time we get to August. But they cannot be doing these kind of things right now when they are not playing good baseball because it is just something that snowballs and it just builds upon those innings and they lead to big innings. And that's the issue for the St. Louis Cardinals this season is when they give up runs, they give them up in bunches. And that's been a really big issue for this team. And part of that is partially due to Lack of fundamental baseball by the St. Louis Cardinals. They they have got to get it cleaned up. Otherwise, they're going to be in for a world of hurt as the season continues to move along. Uh 314.
3: <clears throat> three, nine, 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 six, six is the Air Comfort Service Text line. I'm playing through some pain today. I apologize, guys. This is it this sounds like game. if you hear anybody coughing, it's me. I I apologize. I'm doing what I can. Um, we got this from the 314. Guys, that wasn't Modder's fault. It was Contreras. He waited too long to throw the ball to third. Sure. And Modder was also like six feet inside of the baseline.
2: Yeah. And when <laughs> like, he got the ball, he couldn't reach the guy.
3: It, it, it's on both of them. Um, it, I, I agree. Contreras waited a little bit too long to to throw that one back. And then Modder was too far inside to be able to apply the tag. Like whoever you want to blame. I'm, I'm not much interested, honestly, today. And like we we're talking with Randy before the show. And he was talking about how why, why not have Gorman at third base there? Well, Gorman earlier this year missed the tag in a rundown at second. So, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's necessarily any one individual's fault. It's just these little things that seem to be happening right now. I also don't think the Cardinals are a bad fundamental team. I don't believe that. I think in general, they've been really good at that stuff. But right now, the little things become magnified because this is a team that doesn't have the other necessary ingredients to overcome any little thing that happens in a game when they give up a free out on the bases when they end up giving giving the other team a free out by not getting a play like that in the rundown, um, when they're not scratching across these runs, when they're hitting with runners in scoring position, when they have these big blow up innings, whether it's from a starter or a reliever all of this stuff adds up, whether it's pitches that are adding up, or runs against that are adding up, or free outs that are adding up It all amounts to what we have seen thus far, which is sloppy play and a bad record as a result. And T-Bone, you mentioned those big blow up innings. I went back through earlier today in all of the Cardinals losses to find, okay, where were the crooked numbers coming from? How often does this happen? Because it feels like it happens a lot. Last night, we saw it with the six runs in the fourth inning against the Diamondbacks. They had seven hits, three extra base hits and 11 hitters came to the plate. That amounted to 38 pitches for Jordan Montgomery. What does that mean? It means you don't get to go deeper into the game. That matters. It has a trickle-down effect of what's going to happen today in the game. It has a trickle-down effect of what are those bullpen arms able to do two days from now. That stuff all adds up. But you look back, three runs in the first inning against the Blue Jays. Miles Michaelis had to throw 37 pitches in that inning to get through it. Ended up giving up five hits, and eight batters came to the plate. Five runs in the second inning against the Braves. Nine hitters came to the plate. It was 37 pitches in that inning for Jake Woodford. Three runs in the first inning against the Braves later on. They ended up having eight hitters come to the plate. 30 pitches in that inning for Miles Michaelis. Three runs in the seventh inning against the Brewers with seven hitters coming to the plate. 23 pitches in that game for Andre Pellante. Five runs in the seventh inning against the Diamondbacks earlier in this series. Eight hitters came to the plate. It was 34 pitches combined for Flaherty and Pellante. This stuff happens too often. It feels like the Blues, where when something goes wrong, they can't figure out a way to stop the bleeding. It's in individual games. It's in individual innings. It's in individual series where they have not yet won game one of a series. They're getting off on the wrong foot, and it is snowballing, to use your term, Alex and it is snowballing to a place that none of us want to see it go. Think of the
2: way that they've won their last few games that they've won. You get the walk-off late game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. You get the Colorado Rockies one where Nolan Arenado comes up with that big hit late in the game when they're trailing. Like, it's been rare that the Cardinals have started a game and ran away with it and just cleanly walked out and said, yeah, we dominated that game. Maybe two games that this season it's happened, and that's a problem, especially if it's a team that we're viewing as a team that should be able to compete for one of those top two spots in the national league. To me, that is starting to fade away very fast. Like Marty McFly and back to the future. That picture is disappearing. T-bone's got a blank stare on his face. Go huh. home and watch it, buddy. I, I promise movie, you'll get it. I can't remember the reference. Um, it, it is the blues. And I know people don't want to hear this, but to me, I'm getting the exact same feels the start of this season that we did with the blue season to where you start off and you're thinking, Oh damn, three games in a row you won that Edmonton Oilers shut out. You beat Alec Manoa and Kevin Gossman yep. and Chris Bassett. You're thinking, all right, this is a good looking team. And then you start going on this skid and you're thinking, oh, well, they can't be this bad. And then it keeps happening. You're like, maybe they are this bad. I, I hope that that's not the case with this Cardinals team because they've got too many good players on this team. But guys, <laughs> at some point you look at this team and you say, okay, Who's going to step up and stop this snowball from from turning into a a disastrous one? Because we've seen great starts from Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery and think, OK, maybe that's the start. Nope, that's where the bullpen comes into play. We've seen great games from the offense where Lars Newtbar, Nolan Arenado, or Nolan Gorman are coming up with big hits. Nope, but the starting pitching couldn't figure it out. At some point, somebody's going to have to find a way to step up and just cleanly sweep this thing away so you can put the good vibrations back with this team.
4: Yeah, oh, I That's like another the, Blues reference. You're yeah, welcome. Yeah, I like I got the you callback. Uh, but I, and not only is it a trickle-down effect on the pitching staff it, itself, it's a trickle-down effect on the offense because then the offense start pressing going, oh boy, here we go again. We're going to have to score eight runs in this game to win. When in reality, four runs should be where you should be targeting probably to win a baseball game, three to four. And instead, the Cardinals, it feels like most nights when these innings do snowball, they're having to shoot for nine runs to win a baseball game. And even hell, they did that on opening day and lost. So there's that trickle-down effect to the offense where the offense then starts to say, oh, man, the pressure's back on us. We've really got to press to go get four runs. And I think you've seen some of that this year. I think you've seen guys kind of pressing a little bit early on. I think you're starting to see, like, Contreras, I thought he was pressing there for a while. I think he's starting to get more comfortable behind the plate. And I also have to wonder, too, with the pitching staff, is this something where the pitch clock is affecting them? And I'm not saying, like, velocity, but... Is it the inning is just spiraling out of control? Like, okay, I can't just step off the mound. I can relax for a second. No, you got to get back up there. You got to throw another baseball. And as we've seen, it just happens. And it happens quickly for the St. Louis Cardinals. That Diamondbacks ending, those six runs came across just like that last night.
3: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Hopefully things get back on track today. Cardinals back in action later on this afternoon against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Jake Woodford taking the mound against Uh, A washed-up Madison Baumgartner. This should be a good spot for the Cardinals to be able to get back on track because he is not good. Congrats on that, PK. because now you just talked a sweep into existence. 7.9 ERA so far this year. He's allowed 18 hits and 12 runs in 13 innings. Uh, He's going to have a Vince
4: Velasquez-type outing.
2: Enter San Francisco Giants version of Madison Baumgartner.
3: Coming up next, T-Bone mentioned Wilson Contreras. He's starting to get back on track. Looks like he's heating up a bit and... Lars Nupar has ten walks in the five games since returning to the IL. It's officially time for him to be at or near the top of this lineup. We'll talk about both of those guys next. You're on One Hundred and One ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on One Hundred and One ESPN.
1: I'm going to be honest
3: with you. Oh, ha, ha. I'm not sure what to do for this lineup. Uh, and the reason why is because you're going up against a lefty. Okay. And I don't know exactly what you're doing at uh at two, five, six, seven, or eight. Yeah. One, I feel three, pretty four, good about nine. one. Three, Felt like most four, of the lineup there.
2: And nine. So do you want to do this unconventionally then, BK? Do you want to just do one, three, four, and nine, and we'll fill in the rest? No, we okay. got to do this the way that we're supposed All to. Right. This is our game. We've yeah, always we done this it. game.
3: If you're new to the show, it's called the lineup game. We invented it. We created it. We've made this popular. Another show stole it. So that's the way that this yeah, works here on 101 on Alongside em. Alex Ferrario and Tanner and I'm Brandon. I that, Jamie. Jamie, I didn't say that either. BK did. Cardinals taking on the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's 12-15 first pitch in that one. A lefty on the mound and Madison Baumgartner. Now, he's been terrible so far this year. 0-2 with an almost 8 ERA. He's allowing more than two base runners per inning so far this year. It has been a struggle. Well, that's no bueno. Alex, we know the way that they like to operate. Going up against a lefty. To me, that means Tommy Edmonds should be batting leadoff for you today.
2: Ding, ding, ding. Shortstop two. Show it.
0: But right now, I'm going to need you, Tommy boy, Off to, to get a good this start. place going.
3: Oh. Now, Off Alex, two hole I think batting second is either Tyler O'Neal or Dylan Carlson. It is your guess as to which one is going to be batting there, because I have no idea.
2: Are we sure it's not Lars Núpár, because he doesn't have the splits?
3: I mean, maybe. I, I mean, you I gotta would be get- surprised by it. They've had him batting lower in the order, even against righties. So I'd I'd be a little surprised Man, here. To but have maybe Carlson or O'Neill up. I, like I don't believe
2: it's O'Neill because if Contreras is not playing, O'Neill's gonna be batting somewhere between our after Goldie and Arenado. So really, to me, it comes down to Carlson or Newt Bar. Who do you want? You want
3: to go with Carlson? Out. Yeah. Okay. If you're Carlson or Newt, I'll go Carlson. I think it's O'Neill, but let's go Carlson.
2: Carlson. Hey, Carl. Good. good to see you. All righty. Great to see you, Carl. So we got Carlson
3: there. Goldie, you good old that? Yep.
1: I love gold.
3: You want to say it? Nolan Arenado. And then I think Tyler O'Neill's batting fifth today. I think Contreras getting the day off, day game after night game. He started the last two days. You get each of your big guys one day off during this series. I know people hate it. We'll talk about that a little bit later on today. I think it's the right way to go about it. Even though it's frustrating right now, I would say it's probably going to be Tyler O'Neal betting. I'm with you there. With you there.
5: What the H is wrong with you guys?
3: Mm. Okay, so uh,
2: this is Walker. It can't be Walker, right? I mean, maybe. Betting up fifth? Uh, who else are you going with? Uh, Newt. It's a maybe Newt. Maybe Newt. Maybe Newt. Yeah, let's let's go. You don't think Nolan Gorman would be in there, right? Not against a lefty.
3: I mean, maybe. I I, I genuinely don't know. <laughs> I hate to are say they this. They starting Taylor Mader.
2: This isn't Taylor Moder, is it? You're not putting so. Motter in the five spot. The All
3: flow right. In the I'm, five,
2: I'm just five. gonna I'm gonna make the show. Me Do new. it.
6: You are so
2: wrong. Son of a nutcracker. Walker. All right. Let's go, Walker. Sorry, guys. Okay. You guys suck. Nolan best. Gorman. There's no bleeping way this is Taylor Modder.
4: No. Going with Gorman?
2: Yeah.
6: No, no, no. Okay. New. It's
2: got to be new. I said new. We did, did we say new. It was a no.
3: Did we say new already? Yeah, you were on.
6: So, right
2: <gasps> now, what we have left is Burleson,
3: Walker, Burleson, or Modder. Show Burleson. Okay. No, I'm not doing Moder. I'm not doing Modder. I'm not I doing what i will not to do it. Taylor Modern. No, don't. No. Taylor no. Motter. We are exhausting every other option. Who have we not said yet? I don't think there's only two guys we haven't said. Brendan Donovan. Don Show me Brendan Donovan. Show me Brendan Donovan. Um, not great. <laughs> Show me Wilson Contreras at DH.
2: <laughs> oh god, please, please be right.
0: Wilson! Yes! Yes! Wilson! Yes, Yes! 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 No no! am yeah! yeah! Man, right. that,
4: that
2: was so the meme of
4: get the guy in third place <laughs> celebrating.
2: Alright, uh, this is Tyler O'Neal. This is O'Neal. Okay, so 5-6, so we need 7-8. Man, we really struggled Yeah, that, five, that was four. bad. I don't know why. I guess we <laughs> just
3: assumed <laughs> Kouturis
2: was going to be off. So this is Walker, right? Yeah. This is Walker.
0: Walk it like I talk it. Talk it. Walk it like I talk it. Uh. All right. Walk it T- like I talk
2: it. Walk, it. walk it like I talk it. BK it. doesn't want to say it. I <laughs> think this is Taylor Potter. Why? Good. The good news is he's not back at third base, so you don't I, have to worry about a rundown with him.
3: <laughs> well, Newt's getting the day off.
4: <laughs> that's cruel. <Come> on, <laughs> Sorry. He won't make Burleson's it happen. Burleson's getting in
3: the day off. So it really comes down to Nolan Gorman or. I mean, the only spot that's available right now is really second base. So it's Taylor okay, Motter or Brennan, Can I say Nolan something? Uh, you here not, we go. You should not be starting Taylor Motter over Nolan Gorman in this game. But it It's you a shouldn't lefty. Be. It's I a don't lefty. care. It's a lefty. Yeah. Screw your splits. Taylor Motter is not as good at baseball as oh, Nolan Gorman.
1: Good for you. He's not.
3: Like he's going to be replaced very hey. soon by Paul DeYoung, hey. and he should be. Last night, I missed Paul DeYoung, guys. I found. My- Do you know how hard it is <laughs> for me to find myself hey. missing Paul DeYoung? Paul wouldn't have made that run down a success either. Yes, he would have. No, he would not. Hey, say what you will about Paul DeYoung. He is a competent depend- defender. I- I'm saying Nolan Gorman. I refuse. I refuse to put Taylor Motter into this lineup. I mean, you could refuse all you want. Brandon, but it's not your
2: job. Okay. Well, it's John Moselleck's job to make this line We're starting with Nolan
3: lineup. Gorman, and then we're going Brendan Donovan, cool. and then I will figure out what the third option cool. is. Maybe it's Alec Burleson playing second. Be wrong. Tanner, show him Nolan Gorman.
2: you
1: ain't first,
2: you're last. Go ahead show him, show him, uh,
4: Brandon show him Brendan Donovan. Donovan with a shin abrasion. Go ahead, Tanner. He got it. Boom!
2: Oh, no. What? It's Taylor. Right. <laughs> you did that on purpose, you jerk. <laughs> what? I mean, I was right. No, I heard
4: you say modern. No, my I it.
2: said, show me shin abrasion.
4: Oh, sorry. I guess I was so excited about Taylor Moder, I jumped I, I the gun there. Hey,
2: well, the good news is uh, eight nines, easy outs. So,
4: no. Wait, you're going to guess who's no. nine?
2: We already
3: did Kisner. Yes, yeah, Kisner. Show, show us Kisner.
4: Go ahead, T-Bone. All right, today's starting lineup. Leading off, Tommy Emmett at shortstop, Dylan Carlson in center field. Paul Goldschmidt will bat third at first base. Nolan Arnato in the cleanup spot at third base. Wilson Contreras will DH batting fifth. Batting sixth, Tyler O'Neill in left field. Batting seventh, Jordan Walker in right field. Batting eighth, everybody's favorite except for BK. Taylor Motter at second base. In batting ninth, <laughs> Andrew favorite. Kisner. Whoa. And then Jake Woodford will be on the mound for the St. Louis Cardinals. All right, listen. Let's go.
3: That's a winner right there. You guys know I like Ollie Marble. I think he does a good job.
2: He's a good manager.
3: Him. Well, this isn't Ollie's thing, though. This is Moe's thing. Explain to me the Taylor Motter thing. Explain it to me like I'm two, because well, right now I kind of
4: feel right that handed. way. Right-handed Gorman's you... never hit lefties at any level. That's Brennan not Don- true. Brennan
2: Donovan that has... That is true. That, that is, year, uh, that is not true. 2021,
4: he was terrible against lefties. Last year, he was bad against lefties. That this has, year, he's bad against lefties. That, don't that know has not been year. the case in the minors. You in the minors, he's been fine against lefties. Not in 2021. This Not in 2022. Cute.
2: This is cute. BK's getting angry, and then he's going to go cough, and everybody's going to get upset. And,
4: and Modder, when he does hit the ball, he hits it hard.
2: When he does hit the ball, which
3: is yeah. when. It's hard, but they'll hit it. What has Taylor Moder done against lefty, lefties in his career?
4: We don't have to look that up. He's right-handed. Just equals a start for sure. Man.
2: If only uh, Brendan Donovan wouldn't have got a shin abrasion
3: sliding. And then apparently it got... In fact, yeah, it probably had dirt. Did we in hear it? that right? Yeah. He rubbed dirt yeah. in it. Taylor Modern, his uh, major league career. This is in uh, 77 games against left-handed pitching. He's batting Small 205 with a 280 on base percentage and a 300 slugging percentage.
4: He hadn't been good up until this year, though, so like, we if can't people, read the numbers. If
2: people could have seen BK's blank stare that he just gave me when he read those
4: numbers. <laughs> He's going to have a big game today. This me year, year, you him, he this had a year big when he's game. been good. When he's been good. <laughs> yeah. The he's
3: fate. batting 185 with a 275 on base percentage and a 300 slugging percentage. Well, what's his whoa bacon?
4: It's pretty high. That he's is been
3: 35% below league average offensively. No, no, no. This is worse than Paul DeYoung.
4: Whoa. Do you remember Paul DeYoung last year? Because his average yeah. was not that low. His average was lower. I, I just.
3: Somebody said uh, this is a lineup made from the analytics department. No, it's not. There is no analytic that you can look at that says... You said it wrong, buddy. Say it again. No analytic... Thank you. That says that Taylor Motter is a good option for you in this lineup. Taylor Motter's parents would agree with this. Oh,
2: no, they would not. A guy, he brought his parents. He brought your mom into this. I, I'm sorry
4: for him, Motter. Look, we we separate ourselves from I, BK yeah. sometimes. This is one of those yeah. moments. Listen,
3: man, I'm. this is pro sports. Like, Taylor Motter's a big boy. He's older than me. He knows. He's, he's probably not, questioning this decision hey, today. You know, he's walking this? into the clubhouse, and he's like, Ollie, you sure? Uh, you he know sure what this is. is.
2: He, he they want to make now. sure that he doesn't get offended by what happened with that rundown yesterday.
4: Yeah. I, I just bad defense leads to a big moment. Very Nolan
3: true. Gorman's been better defensively this year than Taylor.
4: He can't hit
3: Neither can Moder. He can this year. No, no, he, he can't. can't. He, he can't. hasn't. He, he won't. Can't. He will. He's hitting he will. 188
4: this Today is going to be a big game. He's hitting 188 this season. I would, I would season. go to whatever sports book you use, and I would bet on a modern home run or RBI today. Oh,
2: it, it, I'll it, just it, take your money if that's all right.
4: Is Nolan Gorman tired? He might be. Hell, Nolan was tired Kerry yesterday. In the club? His back hurting a little bit. Nolan was tired yesterday. He like, needed a day off. He, here's my question: What's the upside of this? What's the upside? Modder's going to have a big moment The today. upside
3: is that Taylor Modder is paid next week like he's going to be when Paul DeYoung is ready to go. His trade
4: value is going to go up. We'll get more cash when we DFA. And Meanwhile, train.
3: if you let Nolan Gorman get some opportunities against lefties, at least you find out if he can do it. Worst case scenario, he can. Okay, cool. You're in the same
2: spot that you're in right now. Yeah, see, all, all jokes aside, that's the bigger thing for me. Like... W- He's we got an sit- OPS of a thousand. We can. i sit- replacing him
3: with Bleep and Taylor
2: Moder. <laughs> we can he needs sit- a day
0: off.
3: We
2: can't sit here and say, "Well, he can't hit lefties." You, you got to give him a shot. And I would say Madison Bumgarner might be the best opportunity to give a guy a shot to There's find a way to a hit lefties. One.
3: Well, he doesn't have any velocity. He has no swing and miss stuff. This guy stinks. And, and you're telling me that we're gonna like maybe Taylor Moder does get a hit today. That doesn't mean it's a good decision. Good results sometimes are. made from bad decisions. What
2: if they want to have Gorman off of the bench in case a righty comes into the game later?
4: Yeah, bingo. That might be it.
3: If
2: you get to Madison Bumgarner early, then you sub out uh, Taylor Motter and you say, now now we're go making the
3: lineup now based on what could potentially happen later in the game.
4: Yeah. Okay. I think it's probably had... Well, one, I think it is they don't want Gorman against lefties. Two, Gorman probably... I feel like Gorman just had a day off not that long ago, but maybe Gorman they want to have a day off off, uh, with the... by when they're idle tomorrow,
3: he had a day off against every left handed uh, pitcher they've faced so far. Yeah,
4: he got pinch hit yesterday for a lefty.
3: I think it's very obvious. And in, for general, a righty, I mean.
4: in general, I agree
3: with that. Like, in general, when you've got a better option, like if like Dylan Taylor Carlson Latter. or Tyler O'Neill or Jordan Walker, uh, Tommy, yet like when these guys are the options for you, or Nolan Arnato or Wilson Contreras, like if these guys are on your bench and there is a left handed pitcher on the mound, you should absolutely pinch hit for Nolan Gorman against a left-handed pitcher. It's the smart move. And I think everybody in our audience would agree that that is a smart move. When your options are Taylor Motter or Nolan Gorman, yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to side with Nolan Gorman.
4: What if it's Paul DeYoung or Nolan Gorman?
3: I'm probably siding with Nolan Gorman, but that's a little more interesting because at least there have been opportunities in the past where Paul DeYoung has been okay there, but like, I'm probably siding with Nolan Gorman there. Taylor Motter, a, there's a no contest. What are we doing? What are we doing here? I,
4: I don't even think when the, when DeYoung is up, he's going to be getting these opportunities. And I wouldn't go to, I would go to Gorman over DeYoung. And I think if you have the, this view of Gorman over Motter, you should definitely have the same view of yeah, Gorman but like, over there's DeYoung. There's
2: hope that Paul DeYoung could connect with the ball and take it deep. There's What's the hope, hope with Meyer's going to hit the ball. I mean, we're, we're basically saying that Paul there's DeYoung's going to make contact when with When has Taylor Motter showed that he's got the potential to take it out of the ballpark?
4: Well, he's I mean, done he, it. I mean, he, he did hit the ball. He's really a big, He's and been a big one. Big, that's big, that's big. what you're hanging on to is the one no, hit that but he had. What I'm trying to make the point of. Paul is Dion If we're going to do this times. now, I better see the same kind of upset where BK's almost crying over there. About Gorman being off against a lefty when Paul DeYoung is back on this roster. His expected
3: batting average by year in the big leagues: 200, 240, 213, 170, 200, 200. His expected slugging percentage by year in the big leagues: 315, 360, 350, 250, 210, and this year, 270. Taylor Motter is not a big league hitter. That's okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But he should not be starting over Nolan Gorman. This is ridiculous. I like Ollie. Ollie, what are we doing? Tanner, tell me what game you felt like Taylor Mauter had a great. If we find out that Colorado. Nolan Gorman's hurt or something, then I will rescind everything that I just no,
4: said. No, Colorado,
2: where he went 0 for two and had a strikeout.
4: No, hit an RBI and
2: went one for four and had a yeah. double
3: and two strikeouts.
4: That double, that that was hit hard. Okay, so yeah. one, like, so you're, one, on so you're one, one, of one of the hardest hit baseballs in major He's striking out
3: 40 percent of the time.
4: Jordan Walker's striking out like 30 percent of the time. And
3: no and one, Jordan, Jordan Walker's Walker. been compared to. Are you serious? Jordan Walker's yeah, been. Yeah, I'm going with the analytics. Are you ser- the guy that's 13 years younger.
2: Yeah. Okay. And he's been also compared to Derek Lee. Okay, no,
4: Don't look like him right now. <laughs> right. Looks like Paul DeYoung at the plate right now. It's balling the ground a lot.
3: Taylor Motter's plus 600 to hit a home run today, T-Bone. You should get on Taylor, that. Just, I'm, give I'm, I'm, do it. just give me your money. Just give me your money got to talk about hockey. I'm done talking about baseball. Higher seeds are 2-6 and (laughs) thus far in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Why is that? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, Stephen Diener hosted the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals make me mad, but man, watching these NHL playoffs makes me happy. And the reason why, Alex, is because we're seeing some upsets, some really compelling games and some upsets around the league. So far, the home teams are just two and six in this year's Stanley Cup playoffs. Alex, why is that? The Brian Windhorse meme. Why is that? Why
2: is that? I'll tell you one word, BK and Tanner. Moder. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong conversation. Goaltending. Goaltending is why the two home teams that have won so far in the playoffs are the Carolina Hurricanes and the Boston Bruins and those two goalies, so to speak. They've had success and the team played well in front of them. But if go through the list of teams that lost. Ilya Sorokin had a good game with the New York Islanders, so I don't blame that on him. Dallas Stars, Jake Ottinger, great game. Don't blame that on him. Those two were just phenomenal games. But the rest of them, a 900 save percentage by Alexander Georgiev for the Colorado Avalanche that lost last night to the Seattle Kraken. Florida Panthers goalie, 897 save percentage. Edmonton's 886. Brousseau, 867 with the Vegas Golden Knights. The Devils, 818. Wool, 800, who played for Toronto like half of a period because their other goaltender had a 793 save percentage. Goalies? are the definition of this first round of the playoffs. Because if you want to find a way to win, you're going to have to have the better goaltender. I know that sounds like Captain Obvious here, but there have been teams that can overcome goaltending issues. But right now, the reason you're seeing these road teams have success is because the goaltenders that they have in place cannot make the big save for them.
4: I I don't disagree with that, because I I do think goaltending is a big reason why you see, and, and if these results kind of hold up to where you see a lot of the higher seeds win. I think it is goaltending, because we've seen goaltenders can steal series before. <laughs> I remember, I can't remember what series it was, but I remember Allen being able to take one for the Blues when they were in the a playoff. Wild and, series yeah, back okay. in, like,
2: 2016.
4: So, like, that's one of those series where a goaltender gets hot, he can carry you through a series. The other one for me is, I, I think it also comes down to special teams, like the L.A. Kings, for example, and their win over, uh, over Edmonton. Boy, that was a struggle, um, but they had two power play goals. The game tying one was a power play goal, and then it also was the game winning goal was on the power play. So I, I think if you have really good special teams, it's another reason why some of these lower seeds can find a way to take down these top seeds. Now, I, I don't think this trend's going to hold up. I do think you're going to see a lot of series end up getting even. But again, I, I don't disagree. I think it comes down to goaltending, and I think it comes down to your special team play.
3: Yeah, I actually think this is because most of the league is pretty flawed, like you look around the NHL right now and, like for example, the Colorado Avalanche, we knew all year long this wasn't the same team that they were last year. It just isn't the same. They don't have the same firepower. Uh, Landis Gog's not playing right now. He's not expected to play in the playoffs, right? Isn't he expected yeah, to be out he, for yeah, the rolled of the postseason? Mm-hmm. Um, that, it's not the same depth, and they don't have the same overall firepower that they had last year. This team's good. It's very good. But it's not it's not as good as it was last year. I don't think that the high upside in the West is anywhere approaching where it has been in recent years, where you've just got like going into each postseason, a clear cut favorite. And it's not always that those teams end up getting to the Stanley Cup, but they almost always advance, at least out of the first round. In the Eastern Conference, I think it's a little different, where on that side you just have like a ton of really, really good teams. But even the ones at the top, like to your point, Alex. The really good teams in the East have question marks with their goaltending right now, and so it just becomes a question of, like, can you overcome that? Last year, the Avs were so damn good, they overcame their goaltending question. This year, there's going to be teams that just can't, and this does in some ways, if you're a Blues fan, I think give you a little confidence about what this rebuild can look like, and the reason why is because you've got a goalie that can be that guy. Yep. You go into the playoffs, and kind of like the Tampa Bay Lightning, where... This wasn't your typical Vasilevsky season. He wasn't dominant from start to finish the way that he has been in the past, but it was pretty good. And you get into the playoffs and you're like, okay, one of these teams has him and the other team does not. Which one am I picking? Well, I'll go with the one that has him regardless. I can honestly like just wipe the slate clean of what he did during the regular season. I want that guy in net for me in the playoffs. I think the same thing can be true for the blues with Jordan Bennington as that guy.
2: Yeah. And that's why, I mean, especially in the West in this first round, I mean, I've watched every one of these first games and I'm watching (laughs) it and I'm thinking, man, if the blues would have been a, a a slightly better team defensively, I would have given them a shot against any of these teams in the Western conference because of Jordan Bennington. And because the offense that this blues team provides, I, I, I mean, I, I, Look at every one of these matchups, and I see flaws in both teams. I mean, Colorado, I believe the flaw is their goaltending. The same can be said about Seattle, but they don't have the the firepower that the Colorado Avalanche have. I mean, Dallas right now is dealing with injuries, even with a Jake Ottinger and the Minnesota Wild. Again, we've talked about this. There's just nothing the wow factor about the Minnesota Wild. And then Vegas, Winnipeg last night, Edmonton, L.A., both with goaltending issues. So... It does provide optimism to the point of where Doug said at the press conference on Saturday that I believe we'll be fighting for a playoff spot next season. And I believe that if things go the way we expect them to, we could be a serious team in the playoffs. Because of the goaltending and because of where the Western Conference sits right now. But it all comes down to having success fixing other areas because somebody texted in and said, as much as you think it's the goaltending Ferrario, it's also teams that have really good defense in front of them. Yeah, sure. But Vegas has a better defense than Winnipeg and they couldn't find a way to score goals last night. So all three areas are important. But I always believe when it comes to postseason, if
3: you don't have the goaltender, you're not going
2: to find a way to win that series. Okay,
3: so speaking of playoff success. Gary Bettman was on Get Up yesterday, and he was talking about the face of the NHL right now, post Sidney Crosby, post-Alex Ovechkin. Now, I know those guys are still in the league, but as we saw with their teams this year, they can't carry a team the way that they once could. Why? Because they're like 37, 38, 40 years old. Like, they're getting up there in age, right? So you're getting into the next era of whatever it is for the NHL. So Gary Bettman was asked, who is the face of the NHL right now? Here's what he had to say.
5: Based on the regular season he's had and based on the way he's played the last few years, uh, he is this generation's poster child. Uh, and it's ironic because he seems to really be emerging, you know, based on this season, in a year where for the first time, as long as I can remember, we don't have OV or Sid in the playoffs.
3: So he was talking, of course, as I mentioned there, uh, about <laughs> Connor McDavid. Good good job by me setting that up. It's fine. Alex, can Connor McDavid be the face of the NHL if he doesn't win a cup? Like what don't you need to have some playoff success before you can be that? Yeah. I
2: mean, you absolutely do, but he had playoff success last year. It's just the team around him didn't have playoff success, but I agree with Gary Bettman. I mean, the poster child is the guy who just scored 150 points in the NHL for the first time since Mario Lemieux did it with Pittsburgh, so I mean, that's pretty good. it's pretty darn good, and I mean, the guy's been a 100-point player in six of his eight seasons in the NHL. That's all right, too. And last year, he had 33 points in 16 playoff games, so that, to me, is playoff success, but you are going to get to a point where if he doesn't win a Stanley Cup, I mean, right now, he's 26 years old, so I mean, the guy's got probably another 10 years in him if he stays healthy and doesn't have the issues that Sidney Crosby has had with concussions. But yeah, by the time you're 30, if we're talking about you being 150, 170 point player, which is incredible in itself, but if you're not scoring goal or if you're not winning in the playoffs, that becomes a problem and somebody might overtake you as the poster child of the NHL. I mean, Nathan McKinnon, I believe Nathan McKinnon is just as talented as Connor McDavid watching him perform in the playoffs the last two years. Nathan McKinnon's got a cup and Connor McDavid doesn't. You can use the excuse of, yeah, but look at all the talent around Nathan McKinnon. Look at all the bleeping talent around Connor McDavid. He's got probably, if he wasn't on the team, the best player in the NHL with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, but he's overshadowed. So right now I have no question about what Gary Bettman is saying. He is a poster child of the NHL. Three Three years go by and he doesn't win a Stanley Cup or can't get into the Stanley Cup final. That's when you start having those conversations a little bit more.
4: See, I, I don't think he has to win a cup to be the face of the NHL because he he is a unicorn. That he he is just a unicorn. What the heck was that? He's a he's a uh, unicorn. It's a unicorn, man. It's did, a did,
2: horse. It's got I, a I horn. Heard Music all of a sudden over the air.
4: Yeah, I don't know what I heard. Okay,
3: it oh. sounded like somebody was listening to some like opera over yeah, the radio. I I don't know what was going on I there. It was humming to myself. You guys didn't hear that? If you did, we apologize. Somebody, yeah. can you guys turn your music off? Your, your sound on your computers, just real quick. Sorry, go mine's ahead. Mine's off.
4: I'll say mine's off. Uh, Maybe but it's yours. I, yeah. Pass it <laughs> Anyway. I'm going to call I,
3: you guys out. I'm going to pass the blame what, and accept what, all of the results. What, Our fearless leader, ladies and gentlemen.
4: Anyways, I, I think McDavid can be Huzzah! the face of the NHL, even if he doesn't win a cup, because he is such a generation-type talent. We haven't seen anybody put up numbers like he has. I mean... I just said Mario Lemieux. We, we haven't seen that in forever. And he is a unicorn type player to where I look at Shohei Otani in baseball. Shohei is the face of Major League Baseball. He has won literally nothing outside of just his individual awards. Okay,
3: can, can I push back on this a little bit? I think oh. the impact that any individual player can have on baseball is so much less than the impact that any individual player can have on either hockey or basketball or football like football. If you're the quarterback, you have a ton of impact. Obviously it's to a lesser degree for hockey and uh, hockey, but I think in hockey and basketball, you got you to gotta eventually have some playoff success. See,
4: I, I don't think you do because, like, I, I look at it and I say, if you're one of the best players for a long period of time, it doesn't matter if you win a cup or not. You're always going to be the face of the NHL. It's always going to be, hey, Connor McDavid's coming to town. He's the best player in the NHL. Oh, he's got 150 points. Oh, he's a cover athlete on the NHL video game. Oh, he's on Sports Illustrated. Like,
3: yeah, I just I, like my best players to win something.
4: Well, then that's know. a little needy in my mind. But okay. I but like to <laughs> I prefer your, Nikita Kucherov who like has cops. To your point on baseball players, for example, I think Otani's more than your typical baseball player because he's pitching and he's a hitter. So like he's still the face of Major League Baseball and he's won literally nothing. And he's not been to the playoffs in his time in Major League Baseball. So I don't think it's about winning. I think it's just based on talent, and is it talent that we haven't seen for Twenty plus odd years, like it is with Connor McDavid in the NHL. I just don't
3: think you can win with somebody making the amount of money that Connor McDavid makes. I think he was selfish. He took too much money, and you can't build that's, a team around two guys a, like him and Leon Dryside.
4: That's as bad as your Taylor Motter take right there. I, I mean, know, he, I, just as bad. Modder, Taylor McDavid and
3: Drysidele scored a combined two hundred and eighty points this year. What's
2: the team won? They had three one hundred point players. Yeah, Dry Nugent Hopkins was a one hundred point player for them.
4: Clem Costin's going to be here's,
2: here's the thing, though. Like, Connor McDavid, to me, is what Joe Thornton was in his entire career. And uh, Jordan McDavid is a much better player than Joe Thornton, so don't take me for saying that. I was like, what? <laughs> but Joe Thornton was, like, a dominant player from his time when he was in Boston to the time he was in San Jose. And he ended his career with zero Stanley Cups. <laughs> People don't look at Joe Thornton as a bad player. They look at him as a guy who was incredible. I
4: never never felt Thornton was the face of hockey because he was always overshadowed by Crosby and Ovechkin. He was the face of hockey
2: before Crosby and Ovechkin. I I mean, like you, you got that. Yeah, it was before your time. But here's the thing. Somebody texted in and said, oh, Ovechkin didn't win anything since 2018. And he was the face of the franchise. No, I mean the argument was it was Ovechkin versus Crosby, and Crosby's got the cups, and Ovechkin has just got the goal scoring ability. It wasn't until he won the cup that people were like, "Oh yeah, Sidney, C- uh, Alex Ovechkin, incredible player." So the cups do matter, but I think the cups matter once you get older in your career. Right now, nobody cares about the cups unless you're in Edmonton with Connor McDavid because you got a dude who's scoring 100 points every season. Like that's fun to watch. The issues aren't Connor McDavid. The issues are they don't know how to sign a competent goaltender for their team.
3: Yeah, I. If he wins something, he can be the face of my league. But until then, I, I prefer. Uh, I'd like to. I'd like Kucherov. to. General manager against you. Da- David Posternock, I think, is more likely to be that BK guy. We
4: let McDavid walk. You haven't won anything for us. Sorry, man. No, I let nice, He'd but... trade
2: them this off season if they get bounced by the yeah. Kings. McDavid, you're great, but these 150 points. Don't matter when you don't do anything in the we playoffs. Need, we need
4: prospects. But coach, I got opposite. 33
2: points in the playoffs last year. Ah, it doesn't matter. You, you couldn't win. Drysaddle's the problem.
3: Oh, that's well, what I'm trying to tell so you. So You think
2: the blues should probably acquire Leon Dreisidel.
3: No, he's a problem. I just told yeah. you that if oh. you can't win with well, that, send him send him to Arizona. Then obviously I'm kidding. He's unbelievable. Connor McDavid is amazing. Um, and he's the face of the NHL. The problem for the league is the guy has not succeeded in the postseason. Nope. That's unfair. His team has not had success in the postseason. And until they get a goalie, they're probably not going to have success (laughs) in the postseason. Their general manager
2: thought Mike Smith was the answer to them winning the cup last year. Somebody
3: said, BK, who is the face of baseball? I I think it is Shohei Ohtani. I think the second face would be Aaron Judge. I think those are your two faces of the league right now, honestly. Um, And neither of them have won a whole lot of anything meaningful. So that's that's the truth of the matter. I also think baseball is a little different than hockey. Hockey um an individual player can have more of an impact but uh, obviously you need the depth coming up next questions and answers here on 101 espn
0: we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn you've got questions we may have the answers maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers.
5: Brought to you by Insperity. To HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at insperity.com.
3: So excited Ferrario and Taylor Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314 Alex are there any players likely to be available at number 10 overall in the NHL draft that you'd like to see the Blues pick specifically I'm so glad you asked BK I've
2: got a couple of guys that come to mind okay uh one his name is Ryan Leonard and uh he's committed to Boston College um he has been compared to
4: Matthew Kachuk I'm into that we weren't interested in the last offseason. That's
2: true. So he probably wouldn't want this one. He's a forward. A lot of people were because I tweeted this yesterday, people were saying, "We don't need another winger. We need a center or need defense." He's a forward. He could play center, he could play wing. He was in US development program. He's kind of the same trajectory as Jimmy Snuggaroo to where you're probably in college for one year and then join the team, maybe two years, depending on how it goes. Uh, he's one guy that I would say keep a close eye on. Another one who plays in Saskatoon, Braden Yeager, another guy I really like. And then I was brought onto this defenseman uh, yesterday by somebody on Twitter. His name is David Reinbach, and he has apparently climbed the charts in terms of prospects. He's been playing in the Swedish League, uh, six foot three left-handed defenseman. So those are three guys I'd say keep an eye on at number 10.
3: Uh, From the 314, guys, I saw a report earlier today that the 49ers are considering trading Trey Lance. If you could put him into any situation in the NFL, where would you like to see Trey Lance play next year? Hmm. Hmm. If I could put Trey
4: Lance anywhere, Hmm. where would I put I got one. I got one. I'd go to Tampa Bay.
2: I'd go to the Patriots.
4: I think Tampa Bay's got a – we talked about this a couple days ago. I think when we were talking about teams that could trade up for that two spot. Mm -hmm. Tampa's one of those teams that there's a pretty good roster that they have built there. They just don't have the quarterback. And and I think if you could bring him into Tampa Bay and you can start him, you'd have a veteran backup in Baker Mayfield, I think that's the spot that would make the most sense if, if they were looking to get a quarterback.
3: I think it's one of three. Tampa I like. Atlanta, I think, makes a ton of sense for him. Like, would you rather have Desmond Ritter, <coughs> Desmond Ritter, or Trey Lance? I would personally rather have Trey Lance as my starting quarterback. Neither Lamar year. Jackson and then the Washington Commanders, yeah. I think, are a really interesting spot as well. Washington's a good one too. I would say those would be my top three potential destinations for I,
2: Trey. Lance. I, I think it would be intriguing to see a Trey Lance in the Patriot system with Bill Belichick, especially get a mobile quarterback who's young gets an
3: opportunity. I'd like to see that. Now, where I think he ends up is Tennessee. Oh, yeah.
2: That makes the most I think sense.
3: Tennessee ends up trading Ryan Tannehill to one of the teams that I probably just met. Like Ryan Tannehill to Washington makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he ends up on Tennessee. I'm not particularly interested in seeing that because Tennessee is yeah. terrible and has very little offensive talent
4: around him. That's what I was going to say. I, I don't really – because I thought of Tennessee, but then I was like, would he have success in Tennessee? No. And I think the answer is no, but I do like the idea of Tannehill to Washington. That feels very much like uh, when they traded for Alex Smith, uh, when Kansas city was looking to move on from yep. him. So a veteran that sits right in the middle of the top quarterbacks in the league. Another
3: spot that would be interesting for him is Detroit for the, all the same reasons that we're talking about with Detroit, potentially taking on one of these rookie quarterbacks this season. I mean, Trey Lance is not devoid of talent. The guy was picked in the top three for a reason. It just hasn't worked for him in San Francisco, much of which it kind of relates back to his injuries. So sit him behind Jared Goff this year, see what you've got there, and maybe he ends up being your heir apparent to Jared Goff. You, you buy low on a stock that uh, could not be any lower in terms of its price right now. Coming up next, the Cardinals are not yet at panic time. But, man, the rest of this division is starting to make things interesting. T-Bone will explain the case as to why the Cardinals need to get this thing going sooner rather than later. And it's not just about them. It's about what's around them. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Reaching the time to panic, but man, we're getting close. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Taylor Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We can all see that the Cardinals are not playing their best right now, but T Bone, the backdrop to all of this is what's happening around them in the National League Central. The Brewers are 13 and five. The Cubs are 10 and six. The Pirates are 11 and seven. T Bone, are you reaching for that panic button right now?
4: I'm not reaching for it yet, but what the rest of the division does, if the Cardinals' struggles continue, might lead me to push that button because I'm getting a lot of 2021 vibes right now from the St. Louis Cardinals. And you go, well, Tanner, they made the playoffs. Yeah, but they weren't going to make it without, what was it, like a 19-game winning streak or something crazy like that. So that's kind of the vibe I'm getting right now because you can't win a championship in the month of April, but you can certainly knock yourself out of a race in April. And the Cardinals, I'm not saying they're as bad as like Oakland where they're like 3-12 and 12 who... <laughs> is basically done already, but they are starting to fall to an uncomfortable range of how far back they are. I mean, they are six games back of Milwaukee already and they are, the Cardinals are getting ready to go on a tough road trip. They should win a day against a mad bum. Who's not very good. And the Cardinals crush lefties, but then they go to Seattle, to San Francisco and to the LA Dodgers. At the same time, the Milwaukee Brewers have the Boston Red Sox, the Detroit Tigers and the LA angels all at home. So I, I I think there's a chance that by the time we end the month of April, we're potentially looking at the St. Louis Cardinals maybe being 10 games back of the Milwaukee Brewers. And it is early still, and I'm not panicking, but you don't want to fall so far behind to where it takes a massive winning streak like the Cardinals needed in 2021 just to get to the playoffs.
3: I think Paul Goldschmidt kind of echoed those sentiments last night. I don't know if people have seen this quote because it wasn't put on Bally Sports Midwest, but this is from Jeff Jones who passed it along on Twitter. He says, uh, this, this is Paul Goldschmidt's quote last night on what, the t- what he's seeing right now from the 7-11 Cardinals. Quote, I think the rest of the year is going to kind of tell us what we're seeing. If we continue, you know, we play the rest of the year. This will be defined as a stretch that just wasn't the best. Uh, breaks didn't go our way or whatever. If we don't play well, how many games do we have left? 140-something, I'm guessing. If we don't play well, then this will probably be described as something that was a foretelling of the future for us. The good news is we've got the rest of the season in our own control. I think that's how how we think of it right now. Everyone's been positive. We feel like we're going to play better. We feel like we're going to start winning some games here. But also, I think the results, all that is good, that feeling good, the results are going to tell the story eventually. This is a very fair game. The scoreboard does not lie, especially over the long run. We have an opportunity to go win a lot of games this year. And if we don't do that, then that's what we're trying to do.
2: You know what that sounds like? That sounds like everybody that talked about the blues season in the locker room. And it sounded like what Doug Armstrong said to the media in the midst of that eight game losing streak. We're going to find out if this is a, an aberration or if this is a trend and if it's a trend, well then things aren't going to look good for us towards the end of the season.
3: Yeah. I I think that what we're watching right now is the fork of the road moment. Like over the next couple of weeks, the Cardinals have a really daunting schedule guys. What's coming up their way is not getting easier. This was supposed (laughs) to be the part of the schedule. And we talked about it at the time that the Cardinals were able to take advantage of, that they could get back on track. You go to Colorado, I know that's a tough place, but this, has a, this team has a great offense. They can be able to slug away their problems there. One, two out of three, but that first game was a frustrating one. Then you've got four games at home against Pittsburgh. You did not pull away from Pittsburgh at all. Those games were all really difficult for you to be able to come away with. And now you've lost your first two against Arizona, who I, I think Arizona's fine think like they can win like 85, 88 games this year, something like that, maybe contend for a wild card spot. But nobody's suggesting that Arizona is some gangbusters team. Then you're going to Seattle. They're a good team. You go to San Francisco, who's fine, solid. And then you go to L.A., and as low as I am on the Dodgers, they're probably every bit as good as what we've seen so far from the Diamondbacks as well, pretty similar, comparable type of a team. If you're not taking advantage of the teams that you just saw, why should I believe that you're going to take advantage of the next eight, nine, 10 games as you go on the road. This is, this is a super important stretch in this Cardinals season. We're going to see Wayno back sooner rather than later. We're probably going to see Paul DeYoung back sooner rather than later. You're going to get Brendan Donovan back. It sounds like on Friday in the lineup, this team's getting healthier. You're starting to see that churn in the bullpen already. They need to start hitting their stride. Otherwise T-bone, I've been pushing back on the notion that it's panic time early in the season and that you can really panic early in the season. When they get back home, March May 2nd, to start out the the May month, this team needs to be back on track. And it's not going to be easy against the teams and, uh, that are on their schedule.
2: I'm, I am hitting the panic button here. And maybe it is too premature for me. But, I mean, we're talking about going on a stretch where you're going to be taking on some very tough teams on the West Coast where this team mentally right now is a little um it's a little fragile and if you come away with a 500 or less record, meanwhile, these other teams in the NL Central are going to continue to find ways to win because of a little bit more of an easier schedule. I'm not hitting the panic button that this team misses the playoffs, but I'm hitting the panic button that this team is going to have to rely on a historic run towards the end of the season or in the second half. And you know what that is a perfect definition of? The last few seasons for this Cardinals team where you put everything you have into getting to the playoffs, you get into the playoffs, and then everything goes cold once again, and we're talking about another disappointment.
4: And, and the games for this team really makes up ground in your past was the cupcakes where you put the team you played the most, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Chicago Cubs and Cincinnati Reds. Well, one, you play those cupcakes less into the Cubs and the pirates. I don't think they're playoff teams, but they are not cupcakes anymore. Yeah, he we just saw lost the pirates. The pirates have really good pitching. The Chicago Cubs have a more competent offense and their pitching is decent. So there are not as many cupcakes. The only team in the division that is so bad that it should be like, hey, you should probably only lose one or two games to this year is the Cincinnati Reds. So some of those cupcakes have fallen off the schedule because of the new schedule and also the fact that these teams are just improving around you as well.
3: 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort, for Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. I apologize. I'm playing hurt. He's um, got a man cold. From the 314. Guys, why is Seattle a good team and St. Louis is not? They have the same record. These ups and downs are exhausting during 162 games. One good week, and we're right back there with the Milwaukee Brewers. This is the thing. I agree that Seattle is a good team. I agree that the Cardinals are a good team. I also think that the Dodgers are, while I'm down on them more than most, a solid team, and they're 9-9 on the season. The Giants were hoping... That they would be better than this. Now they're not. They're five and eleven so far this year. But they were hoping that they would be better. This is a fork in the road moment where some of those teams are going to come out of this next stretch feeling worse than what they are right now. The hope is that the Cardinals are not that team. Coming up next, mm-hmm. Seth Walder is an ESPN Sports yeah. Analytics Writer. He was part of the team that built ESPN's NFL Mock Draft Simulator. Want to get his thoughts on what he's expecting at the top of the draft, the value of the quarterbacks in this draft, and hopefully he can help us make some money on this draft by betting on individual players where they're going to go. Seth Walder joins us next year on 101
0: ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, you know I'm a complete nerd when it comes to the NFL draft. I love this time of the year. I'm going to be up in Kansas City this time next week as we take in this year's NFL draft. And Seth Walder has been covering the draft. He's an ESPN Sports Analytics writer, specifically over at ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at Seth Walder, and he's been part of the team that's been building this ESPN NFL Mock Draft Simulator. You guys can check this out. It is worth your time. I'm going to spend way too much time on this over (laughs) the next week or so. www.espnsportsanalytics.com slash NFL-SIM, or you could just go over to Seth Walder's Twitter. That's an easier way to go about it, at Seth Walder. Seth joins us now here on 101 ESPN. Seth, I have to imagine this has been a massive undertaking for you guys over at ESPN. How are you doing today? Congratulations on building uh, something that I'm going to be spending hours on over the next week. <laughs>
6: Thanks. Yeah, we aim aim to distract. How about about I put it that way? You know, Uh, no credit to my colleagues uh, Brian Burke and uh, and Chris Harden, who actually who actually built this. This is like a a derivative project that came out of our draft day predictor, uh, which we which we've had for a couple of years. But yeah, I mean, I think we've all loved you know, like this, the ability to be the GM, make a trade, you know, move up or, or down the draft board. And, uh, and pick who, who you want to pick. I've been wasting my time on it as well.
3: So, Seth, you, you mentioned you guys have a bunch of models as well that you work with over at ESPN. And w- when you're looking at this NFL draft from the analytics perspective, I'm just going to ask you kind of a big-picture question. Is this a good draft?
6: Ooh, uh, interesting. I think, like, it's hard for me to say from an analytics perspective because largely that's just informed by, like, I think – Scouting and what we hear I mean sure. it certainly sounds like it's a little bit a little bit of a like a down draft overall but I, I don't know I, I have a hard time like getting a feel like you, I don't know Do, are we even good at knowing when we have good drafts or bad drafts I'm not even, I'm not even sure so uh yeah I think like maybe a little bit down but you know there's also some real quarterback prospects on the top so It'll be interesting.
2: I'll I'll guarantee that. Uh, Seth, I'm glad you brought up the quarterbacks because that's been the biggest topic that we've been having on our show. And frankly, I imagine around the NFL is where are these top quarterbacks going to go? Are they going to be the first four selections? Are teams going to be moving out of it? So when you've done these simulators, which I imagine, like you said, you've been spending way too much time on this. How has the simulator gone about these quarterbacks playing out?
6: Yeah. So you can kind of see like the underlying data. So we, if you go to ESPN you can check out the draft date predictor, which is our model that produces the range of outcomes. And that's what really fuels the simulator underneath. And so this, the predictor is built on my extra mock drafts and team needs and uh, scouts and grades and how predictive those things in the past have been at predicting the draft. Uh, and so, when we look at the quarterbacks in this year's class, I think Bryce Jones is the favorite to go one. Uh, I know there's a lot of rumors about C- whether whether the Texans will really take C.J. Stroud at number two. Uh, even if they don't, if they trade the pick, maybe that maybe somebody else would take Stroud. He's certainly the favorite right now, though. It's possible that uh, as we get closer to the draft, if that rumor starts to pick up steam, then the mock drafts will maybe react accordingly and therefore the predictor. But we tend to think that or the the tend to have it go young one, Stroud two, uh who knows exactly right there after that, but yeah, I think like the, the chalk thing would maybe be, you know, Anderson three, Richardson four, and then Levis goes somewhere else in the top ten. I think that would be like the the chalk thing that happens. So,
3: Seth, one of the things that I'm curious about, because I, I'm not buying any of this nonsense that Houston's going to pass on a quarterback at two and then trade up from 12 to go get whoever the guy is that remains afterwards. That It seems silly to me when you look at the numbers behind what these quarterbacks have been in years past, the value of what a quarterback brings from your perspective, Seth. How would you recommend, if you were uh, somebody that was on a board or something, you're talking to Nick Casario, how would you recommend they go about it if they wanted to get a quarterback and they were saying, hey, 2-12, how, how do we go about this, Seth? Okay,
6: so let's, let's say I I agree with you. Like to me, The idea that they would take Anderson at 2 and then trade up again to like 5 or 6 or something and take Levis – I mean, that would be dumb because, like, the, the best thing you can do is ha- – the best thing you can have is, like, draft a first-round quarterback without having to trade up. You pay a ton of extra wasted capital when you trade up. So if they really are saying, well, we like, let's just say they, they're locked in on a guy and they don't want to take him at two, they feel like that's, that's kind of a waste, then the, there's only two options, I think. You could take him at two or you can trade down. The worst thing, I think, is what you described taking a guy, a non QB at two, and trading up. That's like, that's just wasting draft capital when you don't need to.
2: So, uh, on the quarterback side of things, Seth, I, I mean, this is going to be such a, an odd question, but we've had a lot of debate about. Anthony Richardson and the success that he could have in the NFL, and I'm not sure if the simulator projects anything like this. But when you look at a guy who, going into the start of the draft conversation, was maybe expected to be middle of the half draft, maybe late in the first round, now we're talking about him potentially going top five. How much does the simulator or projections look at a player like that and look at the success he could have?
6: Well, doesn't really. I mean, we're we're basing this on the mocks, so in some ways, uh, as the as the general consensus on him has seemed to risen, or the consensus at least outside the league, then so too of the box. The predictor, I think, like the argument is pretty easy to understand. Though, like I think we can all say this guy's got incredible upside. And what what are you shooting for here in the beginning of this draft? Beginning of a draft, you're shooting for upside. Lots of these guys are not going to pan out. We know that. Year after year, people, you know, we, we, we see the draft and we know that many of these players, we know the players in the top 10, we know a quarterback taken at two, a three, four, one, they can all they can all bust and often do. So if you're looking at it, you say, hey, if we hit on this guy and he, re- and he works out, he's really going to work out. And so you can justify it. I think that's certainly understandable.
3: We're talking to Seth Walder for just another couple of minutes here on one-on-one ESPN. You can check out all their work at ESPN sports Analytics dot com slash NFL dash draft. That is where you can find all of this, the predictor you want to go in, you want to do the simulator. You can do all of that over there on that site. You can also find it on his Twitter account at Seth Walder. Uh, Seth, if you're looking at your own, like, prior knowledge and you're looking at the simulator, you're looking at the predictor. What is your favorite bet? Like if you were just making a bet today on uh, maybe a first player taken out of position or an over under spot that, that are available right now at sportsbooks. do you have anything in particular in the first round that you're looking
6: at? Yes, I do. My favorite bet I have it because it's uh, it's top of mind for me right now. First linebacker taken. Trenton Simpson is plus 600 over at FanDuel. And by our numbers, and we don't have we, we have to run simulations to get a precise probability that he's the first linebacker taken. So I can't give you that because we don't we don't have that quite ready yet. We're we're working on that for next week. But if you look at the distribution that I just tweeted them a couple of minutes ago between Trenton Simpson, Jack Campbell, and Drew Sanders, that's probably the three candidates for to be the first off-ball linebacker taken. We have Simpson as, being, as having, like, the most favorable distribution. In other words, the earliest he might come off the board is first, and by the time uh, Sanders and Cam- Campbell, he's just nudged up a little bit. We just, on average, we think that Simpson's going to be taken a little bit earlier than those other two guys. It's not a lot. It's definitely not a lot, but it's plus 600. And, uh, and so, to me, that is the, the bet that I am uh, absolutely most into right this moment.
3: If you had to do an over under at a position, one, one that I know everybody's going to be looking at is the quarterbacks this year. The over under on FanDuel, which you just referenced, is set at four and a half with the heavy juice on the under Hooker is really the one that kind of stands out as being potentially that fifth guy. Based on what you guys have on the draft day predictor, do you think he ends up going in the first round?
6: Ooh, what, what's the juice? Cause we have it so close to 50 50.
3: It's minus 130 on the under. I mean, and it's basically have, even money on the over.
6: I mean, we wouldn't have a value, I don't think either way. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and we're basically at a, I don't know, maybe. I am sort of eyeballing it because I don't have a, I don't have the precise numbers on it. Maybe it's like a 51% chance he get he's not selected in the first round, but it's right there. I mean, we're right on market. I wouldn't I wouldn't feel like we have a we have a bet on that because uh I think yeah, it's uh, that we're right there on that. 50-50.
3: Seth, I'm going to spend way too much time on this draft day predictor in the simulator. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today, making us smarter about the NFL draft. Everybody's going to be hopping over there, I'm sure, over the next week or so. Uh, Appreciate you guys and the hard work that you've put into this. We'll talk with you again soon, man.
6: Thank you. And for folks at home, I just want to say, too, this will update the ESPNSportsAnalytics.com. The draft day predictor will update live during the draft. So if you're a fan of a team, you're wondering if a guy's going to fall to you, The probabilities will update after every pick during the draft. So it's a fun thing to watch as it's
3: going on. That's awesome. Seth, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for hopping on with us today. Thank you, guys. You got it. That's Seth Walder of ESPN Sports Analytics joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I I don't understand why any team that's picking – let's be specific here. I don't understand why if you're the Texans, you would give any consideration whatsoever – to taking a non quarterback and then potentially trading back up to be able to get your quarterback. If you think a quarterback is worthy of being drafted at six or seven or eight or wherever, he's worthy of the number two pick because if that guy ends up being worth the sixth pick, we know how this works five years from now, we're going to go back and redraft this year's NFL draft. And we're going to do what we're going to put all the good quarterbacks at the top of the list because those are the guys that have the most value So take your Will Andersons, take your Tyree Wilsons, like whoever your favorite player that is a non-quarterback is, throw them off to the side. Take your quarterback at two, and then if you want to move up for one of those guys, feel free to do so. Do that from 12. Don't go get that guy at two.
2: Yeah, it doesn't make much sense to me when you got who you deem worthy of a top pick in the first round and then say, yeah, but we feel like we want to get him at six or seven and go get extra draft picks because by then, what if he gets taken or somebody else moves up and you miss out? I would say if there's a guy you like, take the guy and then from there, move forward elsewhere. But I mean, who knows with Houston? Houston obviously doesn't have much success when it comes to the draft.
3: The number two overall pick right now, if you're looking at the FanDuel sportsbook odds, Will Anderson is the favorite. But FanDuel is basically admitting they don't know what's going on right now with uh, with that number th- number two overall pick. Will Anderson is at two to one. You've got C.J. Stroud at plus two fifty, and Will Levis also at plus two fifty.
4: Wow, I'm actually surprised Levis is that Me too. high.
3: Yeah, Levis is up there, and then Tyree Wilson is four to one as well. They're they're basically yeah. telling you like we're we don't know guys. It's going to be traded. So shrug
4: emoji. Yeah, big shrug <laughs> emoji.
3: Uh, the value that I like personally, by the way, Will Levis also is the the favorite right now to be the number four overall pick for the Colts. I love Anthony Richardson to the Colts plus three fifty as the number four overall selection there. That that is the one that I personally. What, really what
4: do like. they have at number three overall? Because uh, that would be one I would think they'd have question marks too, because you just don't know what Arizona's going to yeah, do.
3: Th- that's basically what it is. It's plus two fifty for Will Anderson, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. Kyrie Wilson is at five to one. Will Levis at ten to one. Cool. If you wanted to make a bet there, I would probably go Will Levis there as the ten to one like long shot bet because it's possible somebody ends up moving up to that number three overall pick. Maybe somebody also either moves up or the Texans take C.J. Stroud, and now you've got. Um, young and Stroud off the board maybe somebody likes Levis as that third third quarterback in this draft See, and they move up to get I, him
4: I have kind of the same thought process but I would say Richardson would be the one that I would take the problem there. though is there's just not the value it's plus 250 that's so you fair. don't get the same value uh, there
3: if you think that it could be one of those two 10 to one odds aren't bad
4: yeah that, that's fair but the reason I, I say Richardson is because everything that we've heard come from Levis is it almost feels like Levis is a guy that I almost think could just I, I do agree Indy would probably be him at four but I wouldn't be shocked if he's a guy that i'm just kind of tumbling down draft boards. I because is the guy that's been getting a lot of hype. All of a sudden, Hooker's been getting a lot of hype. The guy you're not hearing a lot about is Will Levis. You heard a lot about him before the combine. You're just not hearing the same kind of talk ever since then, though.
3: Guys, the Cardinals are back.
4: Modder just have a big moment?
3: No, he's not, he hasn't struck out yet. The Cardinals are out. so back. We'll tell you about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: fly ball left center field that ball is deep that ball's gonna get down Edmond had to hold up he's rounding third here he comes the throw to the plate is way late and the Cardinals with back-to-back doubles strike in the first alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner
3: Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest as the Cardinals get three doubles in the bottom of the first score three runs scratch those across Alex, this is the offense that we were needing to see from the St. Louis Cardinals because it's been missing. It feels like the Cardinals don't get ahead enough this year. It feels like so often they are playing from behind. The offense has to find a way to scratch and claw back into the game. And then you're getting into the opposing team's bullpen. They've got their big guys out and it becomes really difficult to be able to play that way consistently. You're just chasing, you're chasing, you're chasing, playing from a lead is an advantageous situation for a team that the Cardinals have not had enough this season. It's good to see them get out going offensively. I don't care who it comes against as a pitcher. We've seen them go against random dudes that have like three starts in the big leagues, and it hasn't mattered this year. Madison Bumgarner has been terrible and the Cardinals are making him look terrible. That's what it's supposed to be.
2: Yeah. Forgive me though. If I don't get too excited about this Cardinals offense being back uh, going up against a dude who's got a 7.9 ERA and hasn't been good for four seasons. Um, so yeah, it's going to be great to see this, but again, I'm going to be walking out of this game, depending on the outcome saying, cool. What did you do to follow that up? Because that's going to be the more important measuring stick for this Cardinals
3: team. Not so much beating this guy. Yeah. You were supposed to do that. What do you do tomorrow? Sure. But I'm going to give them credit for doing what they're supposed to, because so many times this year, we, they they haven't done what they're supposed to and we get mad at them for not doing that so um i'll, I'll give them the credit that they deserve no it's not a lot like this is it <laughs> you get, yeah i was you gonna say this, this is like a golf there's lap. a difference and then we continue to move forward
2: there's a difference between giving credit and saying all right yeah here we go i don't think anybody's doing that i think they? you just yeah. came back from yeah. this segment that way
4: yeah you felt a little overexcited you got a little too bad the yeah. t's going
2: into it was the cardinals are officially back i was yeah, kidding that's true. i just oh, not think to you stay were. through the break i don't understand sarcasm
4: yeah, I, I I don't disagree with though. I, I I think look, this is one of those games where it would be more of a conversation if they weren't hitting Madison Bumgarner. So it, give them their credit, give them the little golf clap, nice job, and then let's see what you do when you get to where seattle on friday i got day off tomorrow when they get to seattle on friday that's when the real test begins now the question that i'm gonna have because yes it's exciting good yay golf club three runs let's see how jake woodford responds with the lead let's see how they end up holding on to this because this should not be a game they have to win like nine to eight This should be one there if they're gonna win it should be like nine to two
2: but that's the snowball that we've talked about right the snowball is the offense does exactly what you need them to do what's the pitching do
3: and last night the pitching was not good enough when it came to the starting side of things The bullpen, though, was pretty solid in that game. Speaking of the starting pitching, the Cardinals just gave up a two-run home run. All right, I take back my golf club. (laughs) That's good. Uh, Jordan Hicks, we knew that was going to be a significant outing for him, and the Cardinals decided to
1: go with him, and he responded in a significant way. And he swung and missed at that pitch, 101 miles an hour and a foot outside. So the pitch inside set up the corner, and Hicks has the strikeout. Look at that ball explode. And with each passing pitch, all of a sudden Hicks looks like a different pitch. Man. Swing and a miss. Struck out three men. That is a step in the right direction. Jordan needed that. That's good to see. I felt different today, and I want to stick with that. And I kind of had the mindset that come in with a little bit more fight and uh, confidence. So those are my big things right now.
3: So, apparently, all he needed to do was step on the first base side of the rubber. Who would have known? Who would have known that that's all he needed to do to be able to figure this thing out? He's throwing 102 again. He's out there with good command. Uh, He had swing and miss stuff yesterday. His velocity was up an extra mile an hour. His slider velocity was up two miles an hour. Step to one side and... You get three whiffs on seven swings. We're good to go, right? I've got a question. I have
4: a question. Uh, why do we not start by uh, you know starting on that side of the rubber when the season started, rather waiting till our ERA was in the twelves and we were potentially being DFA'd, Mister Kylie?
2: Oh, I didn't know that you always do things correct the first try. Yeah, sometimes I, you got to figure it out when you do poorly.
4: Well, okay, first try maybe. But if this was something they knew was success last year, like, you know, maybe we continue from the success we had last year. Try this out. But maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me.
3: I don't understand this at all. And no, I'm not completely buying back in to what Jordan Hicks says as a pitcher after one outing. Not doing that. I know that there will be some that are like, hey, that's why the Cardinals kept on kept hold of him. Sure. Let's see what he looks like the next time out. Because I've seen this before. I've seen Jordan Hicks have really good outings. And then the next time that he goes out there, he doesn't look like the same pitcher. He doesn't have any command. He's, his velocity's down, or he's exclusively relying on his slider. Like, there's there's weird stuff that has been going on with this Jordan Hicks experiment for years now. If you look at his wins above replacement, he's worth a negative one win over the last three seasons. He has been worth less than a replacement-level sh- uh, reliever for three consecutive years for the Cardinals. So, yeah, forgive me for not being all in on what we saw from him last night.
2: Yeah, I mean, the same that I'm going to say for the offense in this game, I'm going to say for Jordan Hicks last night. Like, great, that was awesome, and I loved to see that. How do you follow that up? And I think for Jordan Hicks, I I don't really know, like, there's a a length of time that you look at. Frankly, I think the length of time is when more options are available to you for the bullpen. If you're performing well, then it provides you a little bit more time. But as soon as you slip up, that's when the – Uh, next step comes into where we'll bring
3: somebody else into that bullpen. I would also add this. I think that we are on like a one-week threshold right now for a lot of guys. Paul DeYoung is going to be back from his rehab stint within the next week or so. I think that's the end of this Taylor Motter. Experiment. And bk rejoices yeah i think that's gonna be a good thing for the cardinals until um, paul de young gets a start and then bk loses his mind i think we're about yeah. what 10 days or so something like that from adam wainwright being available for the cardinals again he just gave up a two-run bomb too by the Did way he? so good. Good start. how's his velo it's not being reported on we'll figure that out um <laughs> but when he gets back you're gonna to have to make a decision with one roster spot there i think that sooner rather than later, they're probably going to be calling up somebody else as an arm in that bullpen as well. You got to decide what to do with Jake Woodford, whether he's going to be a long man for you, or if he's going to be somebody that ends up going down to triple a, you got to decide what to do with Matthew liberator. Um, These are all things that are going to take place over the next week or two. The Cardinals have some decisions that are coming their way while they are on this road trip. The roster is about to churn in a significant way. So whether it's Jordan Hicks or Chris Stratton or Jojo Romero, Hinesis Cabrera, Taylor Motter, a lot of these roster spots are going to be up for grabs over the next week or so. And if these guys don't start performing, you're going to see them sent down to AAA.
4: Yeah, I I think that... Roster spot for Hicks, to your point, and we're not that far away from seeing Rodriguez come back, I I think it's going to come down to how does Hicks look between now and until the time that we're ready to activate him, and if you see what you saw last night, because I agree, I'm not buying into what we saw last night, you got to see it over multiple outings with Jordan Hicks. (laughs) then he then then he can either clear himself and they option one of the three lefties in the bullpen when Rodriguez is ready or if he doesn't then they can continue to carry three lefties and say you know what we've got a better right-handed option that we hope's got command and we can just DFA Hicks or maybe he maybe he'll take a uh, minor league assignment just depending if if he would I don't think he would but um, I They are running into the time of, okay, some of these guys are playing for their lives. I, I think some of them do have kind of their fate determined. I, I do think Modder's fate is already yeah. determined. Sorry, to Taylor, but I think it's true. And then I, I also think Woodford's fate's probably determined as well with Waino coming back. It doesn't seem like they're going to go to a six-man rotation, so it just comes down to Hicks. Hicks is going to be pitching for his life for the next— week to week and a half till whenever he's ready. And
2: I think that comes into play once Wilking Rodriguez is ready to go.
4: Oh, that's the other one that I forgot to mention.
3: When he yep. was ready to
2: go, I think that's going to be the end of the Jordan Hicks experience.
3: So there's one other thing that I wanted to bring up from the game last night that really bothered me.
2: Oh, good. It's a vent session for BK here.
3: I'm frustrated officially with Tyler O'Neill.
2: Were you frustrated with him getting on base and having hard hit balls?
3: Yeah, because he should have had a triple last night. Oh, geez. Here we go. So... Tyler O'Neill, when the ball comes off of his bat, is admiring the work that he decided that, that he that he had. Listen, it was a hard hit ball, and he deserves to admire that if it's actually going to get out of the yard. It didn't. So he's walking out, he's getting his home run trot going, and he's got a quick home run trot, but it starts out pretty slow for him. He ends up standing on second. He should have had a triple in that spot. Now it didn't end up mattering at all because The next two guys walked, so he would have been on third base either way. Doesn't matter. The results that come after him, though, don't dictate whether or not that was bad process. And it was bad process for a player that has already been called out publicly by his manager for dogging it when it comes to his effort. And then there was another play. And this one was maybe even more frustrating to me. The play where Taylor Motter ended up running through the bag, and he deserves a lot of credit for that one. Tyler O'Neill, I don't think, made it home. Now, they didn't end up challenging this, but Taylor Motter runs through the bag the way that the Cardinals teach him to, and the reason why he does that is because as long as Tyler O'Neill has stepped on home plate before Taylor Motter ends up getting tagged, you're going to go. You get that run, and then there's like so much nonsense that happens with that play at second that basically it's a free runner that the Cardinals end up getting at second base. It's a loophole in the rules. I don't believe that Tyler O'Neill stepped on home plate because he was essentially walking by the time that he got to home and he looked back to see if Taylor Motter was out or not. That can't happen. The other night there was another play that happened with him. I think it was in left field where he d- took a weird route to the ball. Didn't totally look like he was sprinting to it. It's just strange play defensively. I don't know what's going on with Tyler O'Neill. The results at the plate have been a lot better and I'll give him credit for that. But this stuff is getting annoying, man. It's weird to watch for a player who has, I agree with him in the past, been a like full all-out type of effort player. It has not been that way this year.
4: I, I, I don't disagree. I, I feel like he is – it feels conservative right now. And, and it still – it goes back to when he got called out by Ollie, where it feels like he's just playing not to get hurt. And you just can't do that at the big league level. And I know he's been hitting the ball, but I – I, I don't think Tyler O'Neal, he is, and we've talked about it, he is not the same asset to the St. Louis Cardinals or anybody across Major League Baseball if he's not a five-tool player. And right now, defensively, he's not looked the same, and maybe he'll get better. as It looks like they're going to uh, quit put using him in center field and move him back naturally to left. But, like, the route was off the other night. I was at the ball ballgame. I, I thought he was dogging it there. You guys told me he was sprinting. He just took a weird route to that. Uh, ball And if he doesn't have the same speed, which I don't know if I've seen him look anywhere similar to what he has been in the past at all once this year when he's been on the base paths, then, then that's two skill sets that have just disappeared for Tyler O'Neal. And he's not the same asset for the St. Louis Cardinals or for anybody across Major League Baseball if they do look to move him or if anybody had interest in Tyler O'Neal. So I, I kind of agree with you. I, I'm getting kind of... I don't want to say I'm tired yet of it, but I am getting very frustrated with what I've seen from Tyler O'Neill all season long. And the eye test matches the numbers right now.
3: If you're looking at outs above average, he's in the 10th percentile. What that means, 90% of outfielders have been better in the outfield this year than Tyler O'Neill. The outfielder jump, he's in the 38th percentile. He's getting a bad jump on the ball so far this year. That means 60% of uh, major league outfielders are better at that than him. Last year, he was 72nd percentile in outs above average, which means upper upper echelon top third of the league. And he was right around middle of the league, but top third again, when it came to his outfield jump, it's weird. I, I I don't totally understand what's going on with him. His sprint speed is down from where it was a year ago as well. That's been the case all season long. Last year was in the 97th percentile. This year he's in the 72nd percentile. All of this is just adding up to be uh, again. His hitting has been pretty good. And so that's going to keep him in the lineup, and he's going to get opportunities as a result of that. But all of the ancillary stuff, the things that he was called out for publicly by his manager, they're still tracking. They're still showing up in the game the way that they did on that play where he ended up being called out. So um, I I just wanted to mention that because it's, it's something I've noticed on games, and I wasn't sure if it was just me or not. And I'm glad to hear that you guys have seen some of that as well. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK
5: and Ferrario brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out seven days a week.
3: The juncture. Alex, what'd your daughter do? Uh well, look, this is
2: not against her. She's two years old. This happens. Uh, but I need some parenting help. Text line. So hop on in and help me out here. Uh, my daughter has officially joined the I Bit Somebody group. Uh, got the alert yesterday at her daycare that she goes to that um she bit another kid. Now didn't break
3: skin. Luckily, didn't break any skin. So don't we talk about process versus results but she put the her, her mouth, results don't matter she put her mouth bit on somebody. another kid and bit <laughs> and you know
2: I had that initial parent moment where I'm like "Oh, I'm a bad dad and then the more I understood it th- this happens a lot kids bite other kids It's sometimes it's frustration because they can't get their words out what happened ha- here they she have, want a toy that the other kids must have been with? something like that, and apparently she <laughs> also she also likes to hit other people, which she does wow. that with her sister right now, so it happens. But sounds like a Ferrari. Here's the thing, she doesn't bite at the house. It's not like my kid walks around and bites everybody. This was the first time we've ever heard of this, and so it's like, all right, well, we want to make sure we discipline her to make sure that she doesn't bite and that she understands it's okay. But how do you do that if the kid doesn't bite anywhere else other than daycare? So I'm a little bit of a conundrum. But there's nothing worse than finding out that your kids a biter. You just tell her you can't do that. Well,
3: I do tell her that, but no, my two-year-old looks at me and laughs. I get it. What I'm saying is I'm not sure there's anything that you can really do about this. Now, if yeah. it becomes a trend, and text line, <laughs> please help us out Someone here. Someone texted it nodded. the other kid probably had it coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, not so much. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If this becomes a trend where she's going to daycare regularly and biting other children, yeah, no, this is like the first time. that's something that's a little different. But if it's a one-off, I think you just say, "Hey, Adelaide, we we don't do this. Like we we can't bite other kids whenever we go to school. We can't bite other ki- uh, other people in general. That's not something that we do. We can't do that. It hurts other kids."
4: And then you move on. Yeah,
3: and you what? know what she does when you have that conversation with her? She
2: looks at you and she goes <laughs>
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's not ideal. Uh what did what did daycare do? Uh
2: they they were great. I mean, they are incredible. <laughs> the two teachers there, they just told Katie that it's like, "Look, this happens. This is You know, she had to sign a piece of paper that explained what happened. And then they told her, it's like, look, sometimes it happens when kids can't get their words out. If they want something, they go right to that or whatever it might be. Could be your molars coming in, whatever that is. And they said, look, we just told her that we don't do that. We use gentle hands and we don't hurt our friends. And it's like, okay, so we know what the message is there. So we do that at home. But again, we don't like everything we watch it has nothing including biting somebody none of us bite each other in the house and i see a ton of people saying bite her back that's what my mom said my mom's like well when you guys used to bite i used to bite you back she goes don't do that now i said yeah i figured i'm not gonna bite my kid to that's show her not she- to do actually- it <laughs> no i'm not doing it
4: what she's not a, she's not like a dog where you show yeah, the dog's I'm nose not, in am not it for going in the like house, biting
3: through her skin but like Bite on her arm a little bit and show her like, hey, this is this is how you make other people feel. She's gonna think it's hilarious. Oh well. She's gonna be like, oh, look
2: daddy right. bites, I'm gonna bite too. Yeah, I would not so recommend. I, I think Katie and I both decided that's like we're gonna keep an eye on it. We're gonna keep saying what they say about the, the daycare, and then we get you know, she's at two now, so we get to the point where I would imagine timeout is a normal thing for kids. Um, but yeah, there's a there's nothing worse than finding out that your kid is a
3: biter. Somebody said, BK, if you think you can logically talk to a young child the way that you just did, you are in for a rude awakening, sir. Um, um, every time I try to have a logical conversation
2: with my daughter, you know what she does? She throws her food in my face. I I,
3: I understand. Like, I, I get it. I, I know that there is not a logical way that you can run through with a child that is biting other people, which is obviously an illogical thing to do. That being said, there's also not something illogical that you can really do in this situation all you can do is hope that she gets better well and it's you know? a
2: phase that everybody i like i said i've talked to like multiple people yesterday and they're like it's a phase everybody goes through this well, one my of our niece friends
3: was, was a serial offender of this their, their, still child, is, their huh? child was a serial oh. offender of this Well, my he niece... would go to the daycare and be sent home regularly because he was biting other kids and they were like we don't know what to do here and they did they like just takes time Niece, my niece was the bitee when she was
2: a kid that went to daycare She was the one that got bit there you go. by other kids And so I was joking with my sister and I was
3: like She should have punched him in the face <laughs>
2: well, I joked with my sister and I said like It's a weird feeling to know that your kid's a biter And she said yeah good thing she wasn't bit Because you would have lost your mind if you found that out And I said honestly very good point Because I probably would have been more upset If I found out somebody bit my kid You would? Yeah I mean it's a child like- I get it, But don't bite my kid well, your, your kid, kid bit don't somebody bite somebody else, That's what shit. I'm saying. It's very different emotions. One of them is, man, I can't believe my kid bit somebody, and then the other is, that kid bit my kid.
1: Yeah, two don't different know. emotions. I think saying, I have the same emotion. Yeah, he's
2: two. <laughs> he does that. so I tried to. I tried to bite back. My two-year-old kicked me in the face. Kid has a legit leg on him.
3: Hey, see, that's another <laughs> opportunity that she yeah. could have here. Now the kids going kid to bite and kick. kick. He's well, Alex she- Ferrario. His daughter is a biter. That's it. Oh, oh uh, we'll get you BK and Ferrario <laughs> here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Major League Baseball is looking to put a limit on extensions moving forward. I don't think this is actually going to happen, but if it does, I think there's a way this could be advantageous to the Cardinals. I'll explain that next year on 101
0: ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count
6: that,
3: that big well, inside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So Rob Manfred was talking at a conference yesterday. He said the following. A reform that has been of interest to ownership for a number of years is the limitation of the contract length. In other words, yo, we got to get these contracts to not be as long as they have been. <laughs> he continues Obviously, players love the long contracts. It gives them financial security for a very long number of years. The difficulty, and I think players will come to appreciate this as time goes by. Uh, translation We're going to be negotiating this in the next CBA. They continue, those contracts result in a transfer from the current stars to yesterday's stars. At some point, that has to be true. And I think it's an issue that is important for us to stay focused on because it creates inflexibility that affects the quality of teams that you are able to put on the field. So again, that's a lot of mumbo jumbo that basically says Yo, these contracts were super long this offseason. We don't want to do that in the future anymore. Oh, which one got him upset? The uh, Xander Bogarts yeah, one? That which one
2: specifically immediately comes to mind. Andrew Trey Turner's, Turner's like 45.
3: A, Trey Turner's 11 years. You right now have Fernando Tatis on a 14-year deal. Bryce Harper, Giancarlo Stanton both on 13-year tw- uh, deals. Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Julio Rodriguez on 12-year deals, Manny Machado, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Wander Franco, all on 11-year contracts. Major League Baseball teams are trying to skirt this new rule that they've implemented in the last CBA that says, hey, you got to be under a certain threshold for uh, the CBT, the collective bargaining tax, um, or competitive balance tax, excuse me. And so, Alex, as we go forward here, I do think this is something that the owners are going to push for. I'm not sure they will succeed. We see this in the NBA. We see this in the NHL where you've got a certain number of years. That is the maximum that is allotted by the CBA. Your current team is the only one that can give you eight years in the NHL. That extra year is some of the benefit of staying with your current club. You could do seven years on the open market. In the NBA, there are max level contracts. What is it? Five years, six years, whatever it is. You can do a max, super max, like there's different things that are in the CBA and the NBA that allow players to get a certain percentage of the cap on a year to year basis. But it is also capped out in terms of the number of years that you are able to get from a team. If this were to be implemented in Major League Baseball, I'm not sure there's any team that would benefit from it more than the St. Louis Cardinals. And the reason why I say that is is because they're already unwilling to go those long-term contracts. And so they're playing from behind because if the Padres and the Phillies, maybe the Red Sox, Yankees, so on and so forth, are willing and able to give out those long-term deals, you're battling from a point of negotiation weakness, If you all are able to offer the same number of years now, the money might be different in those other places compared to what the Cardinals are willing to offer, but we've seen them offer big money deals on a shorter term contract. I do think that makes them a more compelling spot for some of these free agents that they've missed out on in years past. I think if you're a Cardinals fan, you might be rooting for this because it benefits your team, but for Major League Baseball, I would be surprised if this actually gets implemented.
2: Yeah, I mean, T-Bone brought this up in the office when we were talking about it. Like, this is another step towards them wanting to try and implement a salary cap, which I, I it just seems very unrealistic that that happens in major league baseball but i just to me those 11 13 year deals that we saw like it's just dumb because by the time that those players are done you're going to be talking Bobby Bonilla thing where they're retired and they're getting paid but that's the that's the benefit of it i, I think the 8 year deals like the max in the NHL is good because you know one those players can potentially sign them like we just saw with Cairo and Thomas and you're going to also Uh, be a free agent still in the prime of your career where you can have success. But two, does it make it more realistic that the players would be willing to sign shorter term contracts rather than wanting the 11, 12, 13 year deals and knowing that they're there? Would a team or a player be willing to go two or three years and say like, yeah, I'm going to see if I can hit free agency once again and make something out of it.
4: Yeah. I I don't think we're going to see it. I actually don't mind the idea of having something like that because some of the contracts just are ridiculous thirteen years for Bogarts, the twelve years that we've talked about with like Stanton and those guys, but to bk's point it, it would definitely benefit the St Louis Cardinals because the Cardinals don't do those long term deals they were at they were clearly at a disadvantage when negotiating with if if they had interest i don't think they did, but had they had interest in Xander Bogarts this off season, which we was a guy we brought up a lot. They were never going to give him that kind of a deal. They would have much rather given him a six-, seven-year deal that was more loaded in salary than anything else. But I I do see this as kind of the – it's not going to happen, but I can see where you're already starting to see the – breadcrumbs being laid for major league baseball the owners really starting to make this massive push towards a salary cap which i am in favor of happening in major Same. league baseball but the number one issue they're going to have to figure out and i, I this is where it'll be fasting at the next cba is they've got to find a way to get these teams that we've talked we talked about the oakland a's yesterday they've got to find a way to get those smaller market teams being willing to invest into their team and make sure that they're able to keep some of their stars and limiting contracts to just eight years isn't something that's going to help. It's going to have to be much more than that, and, and I don't see it happening because the moment that uh, Rob Manford made these comments, literally about 20 minutes later, there was an article on The Athletic talking about how uh, the Tony Clark, the P.A., was saying something about, you know, this is never going to happen. Manfred shouldn't have even mentioned this.
3: Guys, Wilson Contreras is my favorite baseball player. What just happened? Oh, what did you do? Okay, so I'm going to explain what just happened. I can't do play-by-play. We're not allowed to do that based on well, F- violations. Oh, so, okay. So you. the reason why I bring this up. So Wilson Contreras, he swung through a pitch from Madison Baumgartner, and he was mad at himself. And so he was kind of shouting under, like, you know, you know Wilson Contreras gets upset. Madison Baumgartner did the Mad Bum thing. Where he then is shouting at Wilson Contreras. Good. Wilson ends up chest to chest with the Arizona Diamondbacks um, catcher, because they're going back and forth now. Man. <laughs> it all ends up kind of diffusing. The bullpen was just Contreras waiting. Contreras gets in. back into the, the batter's box. He ends up walking on the at-bat. And then... Flips his bat about twelve feet into the air I while mean, looking at Madison Bumgarner. It was Jose Bautista-esque
2: flip bat flip. Like that went flying.
3: I just man, that's the kind of thing that when he's on your team, you just love it. And when he's going against your team, my God, do you hate that guy? I love it so much. And the Cardinals need more of that, not less of it. Arenado brings some of it. Yadier Molina used to bring a lot of that. Now you've got it with Wilson Contreras. This team needs to play with a little bit of an edge, man. Didn't Miles Michaelis say that post-game after his most recent start? I thought he
2: did, where he said, like, our guy's got to start playing with a little bit more edge to get out of this slump. Yeah,
3: like, Look who's having success recently, Wilson Contreras, with that edge. I do think there is something to that. I think sometimes you see, like, uh, we're just kind of going through the motions type of a vibe yeah. with this team. Like, Lars Newbar plays with a lot of emotion, man. He plays with a lot of energy. Nolan Arnato has that. Wilson Contreras has that. Now, Goldie plays with that, but it's very under control at all times. And I'm not asking for all of them to be something that they're not. But when you see something like that, I, I do think it has... A maybe intended, maybe unintended consequence of kind of getting other guys going uh, while you're there. And then right afterwards, of course, Tyler O'Neill comes away. Stopped at first base, BK. Did he really? Yeah. No. Okay, no, he stopped a
4: second. (laughs) I wouldn't have shocked
3: anybody, I wanted to see
2: BK lose his mind. (laughs) Who do you dislike more, Tyler O'Neill or Taylor Motter? I mean, it's different, right? Like, I
3: know what Taylor Motter is capable of. Yeah, what was it, a hundred and three mile an hour off the, the bat? Th- the, the same reason yeah. why people get frustrated with Jordan Cairo is why I'm frustrated with Tyler O'Neill, and I find that so funny because you don't get frustrated with Jordan Kyrou, but I do. I maybe it's kind of unfair because like Jordan Cairo, I just think is is never going to be a very good defensive player. <laughs> maybe
2: Tyler um, O'Neill won't be. I think the thing, although that he I, did win a gold, the glove. thing that
3: I underestimated with Kyrou is how much that wears on his teammates. Because now that we're hearing some of these comments that are coming up, we don't know who they're talking about, right? We, you guys can read between the lines.
2: JR's piece on The Athletic today was amazing because he was talking about how they wouldn't call anybody out, but he just kept talking about these young players that won an 18-second clip on social media. Yeah, like,
3: who, who do you think they're <laughs> who is referencing that? in these scenarios? So the, the reason why I bring that up is because, like, when it does become an issue for his other teammates that he's playing with, that matters in a, in a significant way. And if they know that Jordan Kyrie's dogging it, okay, well, then I need to acknowledge that maybe I've been a little underestimating how much that matters as well. With O'Neal, his manager called him out publicly for that stuff. And then it hasn't been fixed, I don't think. Like, in my eyes, at least from what we've seen I do think there's sometimes an effort problem from Tyler O'Neill this year. And whether it's him just like throttling it down to stay healthy or whatever the reason is, there is numerical data to back up the fact he is not the same player this year when it comes to his speed as he was in previous seasons. That's a problem. It's a problem for him as a player as he tries to get closer to free agency and get that big contract. And it's a problem for the Cardinals as a team. So that's that's where I'm at coming up next 314-399-9646. 314-399-9646. I'm going to try to rest my voice. More likely to happen here on
0: 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen, they'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's More Likely to Happen. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train.
3: Or 399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. Here's a question for you guys. More Cut. likely to be on the Cardinals roster in two weeks. Taylor Motter or Jordan Hicks?
2: <sighs> Say it, T-Bone.
4: It's freaking Jordan
2: What did Hicks. he just do with first and third and nobody out?
4: Struck out. See how Hardy hit his first at-bat? 103 I didn't. off I saw the how
2: Hardy hit the ball the second time at the at-bat. It was zero. It's a really good pitch.
4: Zero. But it's more likely Jordan Hicks is still on the roster. Because uh, if he pitches well, there's a way they can kind of maneuver things around. This team's stuck on having Paul DeYoung back, even though they'll <laughs> be like, oh, hey, look, Paul Swing, it was good in AAA. And then he'll DeYoung come up a... and he'll hit like 157 and then everybody will be unhappy. Paul DeYoung so, yeah, had a... sadly it's Jordan Hex.
2: DeYoung just had a two-run double for Memphis uh, a little bit ago, so that's always a good sign for them.
4: Yeah, I'm not saying he can't hit down there. I'm
2: going
4: to say for...
2: It's more likely that it's Hicks. And, and I don't believe Hicks is going to be up here in that time frame. But I, as soon as Paul DeYoung is ready, it's going to be Taylor Mader. I think Taylor Mader was that roster filling spot so that they could get Paul DeYoung back.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's Jordan Hicks because the Cardinals clearly have some faith that he can get this thing figured out. I'm not sure he can. Last night was a step in the right direction. But if the Cardinals didn't believe that he was going to get this thing going, they would have already DFA'd him. They would have just said, you know what? If you don't want to go down to Memphis, fine. We're going to move on from you. We're going to get somebody else in here that can go ahead and do the job. Because right now they're playing with one hand behind their back for the rest of the week. With him being on the roster because they can only put him into games where it is a low leverage situation. They need to be up or down by four runs, basically, or more for them to be willing to put him into a baseball game. Uh, So I think it is more likely that Hicks is here. I think Paul DeYoung will be back next week. But, man, I don't have a lot of confidence that that will the be. The
2: good case. news for Hicks, though, is that coming up on the stretch of games on the road, he's going to be used a lot. Because the Cardinals are going to be down by a lot of runs. Alex, what do you have okay. for more likely to happen? More likely to happen, boys. Next season, Tommy Edmond is playing second base for the Cardinals or playing shortstop for another team. Say that again? More likely to happen. Next season, opening day, Tommy Edmond is playing second base for the Cardinals. Or playing another position, if you don't want to be too specific with it, for another team. I'd say shortstop.
3: I think it's more likely that Edmund is elsewhere. If you want me to be totally honest. I I think that Tommy Edmund, this is his final season as the Cardinals' everyday shortstop. I think Mason Wynn is their plan for next year.
4: I think I agree. I I think it's more likely Tommy Edmonds is with somebody else next year because mason win i i I think what they should be preparing to do is next season if win plays well in triple a this year and again it all depends on what he looks like but if he plays well they should be making the plans that he doesn't have to earn a spot in spring training that he will be on the team in spring training that as a guy that's locked into a roster spot and they would probably trade Tommy in because he's got less years of control on, like brendan donovan
2: See, I think it's more likely he's playing second base for the Cardinals next year, and Brendan Donovan's an outfielder next year. I can see Brendan Donovan being an outfielder, and I think Nolan Gorman is going to be your DH once again next year um, just because of the defensive ability that Tommy Edmond possesses. And if you're bringing Mason went in to play shortstop, you know what his defense offers. I, I, I believe they will view that as Tommy Edmond's a good piece to have at second base for us. Yeah,
3: I just think you have so many outfielders already. Um, I think some of those guys might be gone in the offseason. Walker and Newt, I would be surprised if either of those guys are gone next year. And then I think one of Carlson, O'Neal, Donovan as another guy that can can play there. I, I think they've got enough that they would probably go the direction of trading tommy evan t-bone what do you got for more likely to happen
4: more likely to happen the cardinals get this turned around on the upcoming road trip and finish above 500 or they find themselves 10 games back in the milwaukee brewers
3: so you're how far back right now six. Seven? Six? i think it's more likely they turn it around i still believe in this team now i might end up being proven wrong as the Cardinals just, just, you say that And there's a deep drive allow, to right field and As they allow a home run I don't and know if a I'm deep, ever going to put these headphones back on There's a deep hand. drive to right field um, I Both. think the Cardinals are going to get this thing back on track Now I'll tell you somebody that I don't think is going to be with the team next week And that's Jake Woodford
5: yeah, Both teams right now are suffering
3: from We need to get our pitchers out of the game immediately I, I do think that the Cardinals are better than what the results have shown so far And I think they will show that when they go on this road trip. So I think that they end up getting this thing back on track and they finish the road trip above 500. I'm going
2: to say it's more likely that they're 10 games back of Milwaukee by the end of this road trip. I just, I I believe... What we're seeing right now, I don't want to get too excited about because when you take on Seattle and you take on San Francisco and you take on the L.A. Dodgers, those are three teams that I think can put a hurt on in terms of their offense against the pitching for the Cardinals. And I will look at this as saying, man, you got a one heck of a task now after this road trip.
4: I think I'm going to lean on the side of optimism and say they're not going to be 10 games back, but they're going to figure this out on this road trip. I, I think San Francisco is a bad baseball team. I, I think they should win that. They yep. should take three or four in San Francisco. The series that's going to determine the fate of this road trip is going to be the one that starts on Friday, and that's in Seattle. A team that is scuffling as well, but they've got good pitching. You're going to see Luis Castile, who's been awesome for Seattle early on in the year. You're going to see George Kirby as well. Um, I, I think that's the series that really determines everything for them. I, I lean towards the side that they will kind of get this figured out, but the pitching is what scares me. I, I, I don't have faith in the rotation. Honestly, Wayno's outing wasn't all that encouraging in Springfield today. Just looking at his numbers as he wrapped up his uh, first rehab start and look, it's first rehab start. Everything should hopefully get better from here, but I, I have some concerns of how the pitching will hold up, but I think they will get it figured out.
3: You remember the Cardinals playing against San Diego in, I guess it would have been late May last year. Um, That was a really big series. The reason why I bring this up is because it it felt like it was kind of like a this isn't a a statement for the Cardinals going up against a high quality team. I think this could be that in a different way for the Cardinals against the Seattle Mariners, where this year it is. One of these two teams is going to go into this weekend feeling like they can get things turned around and then they'll leave the weekend knowing that they can get this turned around. The other is going to have more significant questions coming out of the weekend. Yeah, so I I think that it is a a real turning point potentially. And we've said this a lot about the Cardinals, but this could be a real turning point weekend for them going into this one against the, uh, the Seattle Mariners. So I like that one as well. Uh, guys, more likely to happen three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. More likely that Jake Woodford makes his next start or Matthew Libertor makes that next start. That's what
2: I was telling Tanner in the office. I mean, cause I, they got one more start for Adam Wainwright. And then I think that would project for him to start at the end of the road trip, which I think they'll just push that off until they come back home against the angels. And for how this one is going for Jake Woodford, I think I would venture to believe that it's more likely that Matthew Libertor gets at least a start with the Cardinals before Adam Wainwright returns. And I don't know if that means Woodford goes to the bullpen or Woodford goes down to Memphis.
3: Um, But I would say it's more likely that Libertor is going to get that shot. probably worth noting, Libertor last night, five and two-thirds innings, gave up eight hits, one walk, four earned runs, but six strikeouts in a game last night against Indianapolis.
4: Yeah, I I think it's more likely it's going to be Jake Woodford because I think it will just be one more turn through the rotation, and then Ueno will join the team at the end of the road trip. Um, I... I, I, think you do, I think you just continue to have Libertor throwing down in AAA and just say, you know, you've been pitching well. I, I wouldn't even read too much into the outing last night. But I would just say, you know you're pitching well. We don't want to take you off of rhythm, call you up for one start, and then send you right back down. So just stay in Memphis. We'll try and work our way through one more start with Jake Woodford before Adam Wainwright comes back.
3: I think Libertor gets that start. And I think he should get that start. Um, I think that we are, we are seeing that the changes that we saw from woodford and spring training or a result of it being spring training sometimes we read too much into that stuff and i think this was one of those situations where we read a little more than we should have that jake woodford was fixed
4: that's why i tell you not to
3: overreact to spring bk unbelievable coming up next chris kerber the voice of the blues here on
0: 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here at 101 ESPN. Right now, we're going out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the voice of the bluesies, Chris Kerber joining us here on the show. Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today?
5: Fellas, I'm doing good. I'm uh, down here in Louisville checking out some athletic facilities and uh, learning a little bit. So uh, kind of a fun day out of town.
2: Oh, yeah. It's the the college, right? We're still trying to decide for uh, the oldest Kerber daughter, right, Kerbs?
5: Yeah, there's part of that. You, you combine it with an opportunity to meet some people and learn, uh, you know, just expand your base in the sports world and to, so kind of a dual purpose one, but yeah,
3: oh, it's, it's a fun get, get out of here, Curbs. I know what you're doing. You're going on the bourbon tour. Get out of here.
5: <laughs> Listen, I haven't had a chance. That, that one, unfortunately, is not even fitting in here. You know, like we're on one tour. I'm like, man, if we get this done by like 4:15, I can get back up to Evan Williams because there's a bottle they got there. They only sell here or in Tokyo. Yeah, so, g- like I'm, I'm hoping the timing gets done. <laughs>
3: you you better get over there to maybe it's Old Forester, maybe get yourself to Buffalo Trace. If you do, get, give me a uh, store pick of the Eagle Rare, please. I would I would very much appreciate you bringing <laughs> one back for me.
5: If I, yeah, Buffalo. Now Buffalo Trace is a, is a little bit further out. They're closer to Lexington, right. so I'm not Worth drive. I'm not going to make it over that over that far, but. Um, no, no, I was able to uh, to pop over to uh, Churchill Downs and you know picked up a bottle of the Woodford that uh, in the uh, the fiftieth anniversary of uh, Secretariat bottle. So nice. I, I took care of a little personal stuff while I could.
3: You should have texted me. I would have I would have sent you a quick Venmo. We would have okay. made that. I could be for Venmoing you all day, Kerbs. <laughs> yeah, I would have put I would have put down a uh, a bet on a horse for the Churchill Downs and then maybe got a little whiskey out of the out of the story. Uh, Curves, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the St. Louis Blues because the season has officially come to an end earlier than any of us were hoping. But at this point, we kind of expected uh, the season to come to a close early. When you heard what everybody had to say on Saturday with the end-of-season wrap-up interviews, what was your biggest takeaway from that?
5: I think my biggest takeaway was the realization by the veteran players as well as the general manager that there were – and, and surprisingly so that next season needs to come in with a little better level of professionalism. And, and by that, I mean, I think th- there was a season of a lot of people waiting around for somebody else to take the reins and, and pull everybody in. And that never happened. And, you know, I don't think one person can do that. that that's got to be a team mindset from the start. So, you know, whether it was the personnel loss and, you know, you know, knowing that you're not re-signing guys like David Perron, whether it be the, you know, the contracts, big contracts, the first real big contracts handed out, you know, to, to some of the blue younger players. How did that impact the veterans? How did that impact ice time? All, all that other stuff. I think it has to go back to a certain level of professionalism uh, and, and commitment to a process. And I think the statements made by, by Braden Shen, by Justin Falk, by Doug Armstrong really showed that uh, that they were never really able to grab that. And to me, I think the most telling comment, you know, really came from Braden Shen whereas really from the start of camp we never came together as a team. So, uh, to me... it's it's about a commitment to a process and to each other that just never seemed to really get
2: there and curves the one thing that popped out to me when I was listening back to that interview of his media availability was Doug Armstrong talking about his idea of a captain and I mean we've seen over the years the 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 types of players that have become captains and Doug said that he started to question kind of what the role of a captain was if it was one individual player or if it was a group of players going into the season were you surprised by that
5: no, I'm not surprised I think teams uh, get like that uh, you know, when they don't know who their next leader is going to be. But I think when you know who your leader is going to be, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious that the Boston Bruins are Bergeron's team, and he's considered one of the best captains in the league. He's doing some of the coaching for the coaches. So I, I don't know that I'm, I'm – not, I'm not sure I completely agree with Doug's assessment of that. Um, but to his point – I, th- I think you need to have one voice that eventually things go through, but I also do believe that y- you need that leadership group, and that leadership group has to combine both some veteran and some younger players. So, you know, from from that standpoint, uh, it-, it wouldn't surprise me if they let it sort itself out, but at the same time, you will eventually see another captain of the St. Louis Blues, whether it be the following year or during or something or other. i'd um, I know what he's saying. I, I just don't, I, I do think at some point you, you need one person that if the stuff's going to hit the fan, they're the ones that can control it.
3: Chris Kerber is the voice of the blues. He's joining us here on 101 on one ESPN uh, curbs after the season. Uh, a lot has been made. And really during the season, we have these conversations as well of Jordan Cairo. Yesterday we talked to Jeremy Rutherford and he said that the goal for this offseason is for it's all click for Jordan Cairo, for him to quote unquote, get it right. And, and Who knows what that looks like or what that means to him or what that means to the blues. But it's one of those things where when you see it, you know it, what do you think needs to happen this off season for Jordan Cairo for his game to go to the next level as all of us hope
5: that it does. I think it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning and the very first thing, the commitment to professionalism and that professionalism it's, it's a broad topic, but, it's are you bringing the necessary energy to practice the optional day, which he takes most of them and not skating? Or are you going out there? It tells me something when I see Braden Shen and Ryan O'Reilly and some of these other guys that are out there for most optional skates. And when I don't see a younger player out there for the majority of, them. I frankly have never understood it. I understand the option of taking one if you need it, but you know, totally agree, Curves. Me, we I,
3: mentioned that yesterday.
5: Totally agree with you. Yeah. I, I, it, to me, I'm uncomfortable if I'm, you know. Look, hey, look. I first got this job with the Blues. If Kelly Chase is doing some work, I'm right there with him doing the work, right? You're you're following that leadership. Um, so to me, uh, to me, I think it has to start there. there has to be a, a harder commitment, and it comes down to one real thing with with Jordan Kyrou in my book. For Jordan Kyrou, it comes down to: Will you go get the puck as hard as you move the puck up? In other words. It's okay to turn it over. You're going to, you're going to have turnovers when you're a skilled player and you're trying to make moves and you're trying to make plays and that's your job. Right. But if you turn it over, are you working harder on the back end? I got I got a rule with my, you know, my daughters when I you know, when I was coaching them and I tell my, my youngest to play soccer all the time. I call it first up first back. Yeah. You want to go score goals. That's fine. But if that goal isn't scored, you better be the first one back working in your own half of the field. And that to me is where it has to go for Jordan Cairo. There, that there needs to be a much harder focus for him on the other side of the puck, and I think that's what the team is relying him on. That that game where there was, a, you know, where he butted heads with Craig Berube in Nashville, that happened because of a play where it just didn't look like he was ready for the puck in two different situations, and that's where it's got to change. Now, guys, yeah, you hope that it clicks, but that's not how sports works. That's just not how this goes. Something just doesn't snap. It's something that you learn and you figure out and you go over time. So his, the, the one thing they don't have to be concerned about with Jordan Kyra is fitness. His fitness has always been one of the top on the team. He's been excellent in that department. So they know that that's coming in. Now they want to see another level of work ethic uh, here. You know, once you're here, and and that's a process and it's a learning process. And and he made some good steps. But, you know, and and at some point in time, you do have to almost park the contract and say, let's not forget that we're still developing a 24-year-old player. All right? I mean, you're talking Austin Matthews is in year, what, six or eight? You know, things like that. You're You're talking eight or nine years now for Connor McDavid. And these guys are just getting into playoff relevance. So, to me uh th- to me, there's still time, but it is a process, and you just want to con- see him to continue to see him working on that process.
2: Curbs, final one for me, in I would imagine a lot of people maybe assumed that th- this was going to happen when it comes to the struggles that this team has had the last couple of years on the defensive side and then with special teams, but your general thoughts when you find out that the Blues are moving on from Mike Van Ryn and Craig McTavish?
5: Um, well, look, here's the one thing we know about Doug Armstrong. Uh, you have a year like you had the chances of him coming back with the same coaching staff were slim and the chances of him coming back on the same roster, I think are not, they're not slim. That's not happening. He's not coming back with the same roster. Um, that, that's Doug Armstrong. So to me, you look at it and, and the, the fresh voice and where he goes, he decided that was going to be on the other, uh, the defensive side of it. Mike Van Ryan was a terrific coach, is a terrific coach. Uh, knocking on the door of being a head coach. I know he, he had a couple of interviews, so that's good. Um, sometimes a, a change of scenery, even for an assistant coach, can be a good thing. So it, it's going to be disappointing. He was so great to us and such a professional. So disappointing in, in some respects uh, uh, th- that that we won't be seeing him on the plane. But I, I think Mike's still got it and is going to have a terrific career and will be a head coach in the NHL. The Craig McTavish one is one that, as Doug Armstrong said, where he thought he was going to be valuable as his winning experience. And when this team never got traction, he didn't feel that Craig McTavich was going to be or was used the way that he had envisioned it. So that one is a little less surprising. But two terrific hockey guys, I'll tell you that. And, uh, you know, Craig said maybe he's done with coaching, but I know Mike Van Ryan's got a, a long career ahead of him yet.
3: Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself out in Louisville. If you come across any more opportunities for any store picks or anything good out there, you let me know, and uh, we'll talk with you again next week, my man. <laughs>
5: I will keep you in mind, Brandon. You got it, brother. Hey, Kirk, <laughs> yeah, that's Chris
3: Kerber, the voice All of the
5: right. blues here on 101
3: ESPN. Always appreciate his time joining us here on the show. Coming up next, we're going to hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind with some final thoughts on the Cardinals from today as we have been watching the first, what is it, six innings or so of this game, fifth five innings of this game, and what Jake Woodford's future looks like here in St. Louis here on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK
5: and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the Bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs.
3: said, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow on the show, but we have now seen four starts from Jake Woodford in his uh, season thus far here in St. Louis. Those starts have gone... Four and a third, four and two thirds, five and a third. He has allowed seven, six, and seven hits. And he's allowed six, three, and zero runs in the three prior to today. Today he won five innings again, gave up another seven hits and four earned runs. He now has a 6.1 ERA on the season. The Cardinals have said publicly that they don't make any determinations on their rotation until everybody has at least three starts under their belt. We're now four for Jake Woodford. How would you assess his start to the season as the fifth starter in your rotation? He's a bullpen pitcher.
2: Everything that I've seen from him says you're not made up to be in our rotation, but you're a perfect piece for our bullpen because he could give you a solid one or two innings. The problem is when you get to that second time through the order, that's when teams start to have a lot more success against Jake Woodford. And I know some people might look at that as like a myth of it's not so much that it's just, but whatever it is, Jake Woodford to me, would be an ideal piece in your bullpen over some guys that are in there. But when it comes into the rotation, I've got other guys that I want to figure out who they are rather than Jake Woodford. I think I've learned everything I need to know from him.
4: Yeah, I would say it's been a little disappointing coming off of the spring training that he had. I, I thought that slider would really carry over into uh, the regular season because that that was his best pitch and he was striking guys out. <laughs> and his, his strikeout percentage has gone up, but his walk percentage has gone up as well. And so has his... Um, uh, hard-hit percentage as well against him. So that that's something that it, it's it's a big big effect on him there. So I, I think it's been disappointing. I, I think they probably start him one more time, and I, I think what they will do is that way they don't have to just call up Libertor for one start and send him back down. And then when Wayno is healthy, they will uh, just replace him and send him down to Memphis. I, I, I don't think you put him in the bullpen. I, I don't think you need a long man. I think wayno's going to get stretched out with one more rehab start, so he won't even need a long man. I would send him now tomorrow.
3: And it's not as a response to what happened today. It's because I think if you send him down now, what you can do is you can then play the shuttle game for the next five games. You basically get a fresh arm coming out of your bullpen. So whether that ends up being Jake Walsh or Guillermo Zuniga, who would be my personal preference for that spot, um, you can go ahead and call them up, get the next three, four games out of them. And then when that spot comes back up in your rotation, you can call up Matthew Libertor if you want to, and he can get that start. He potentially could get two starts up here in the big leagues prior to Adam Wainwright getting a, getting his return. Maybe you go to a six-man rotation, not for like a full turn, but just for that one spot to be able to reinsert Waino into the rotation on his normal rest. That would be the way that I would handle it. Because if you have Jake Woodford on your uh, on your roster for the next you know five days or whatever, you're basically not utilizing him because you don't want him making that next start. In a best case scenario, I'd rather have that fresh arm that is available to me. So I, this is not a shot against Jake Woodford. He's, it's just not working. It's not working for him as a starter for you in the big leagues. I would send him down, let him be a part of that, uh, that triple a rotation, keep him extended, keep him stretched out, see if he can work on some stuff down there. And then for your big league club, I would want another arm that I can use this weekend going into that Seattle series.
4: I, I think that's fair because I understand that. I, I just don't know if they want Libertor to ride the shuttle real quick, make one start, and then go back down. I, I just don't know how they feel about that. Or, I mean, honestly, if you don't want Libertor to do it, what you could do is you could, and I can't believe I'm saying this, you could give Dak a start. You could call up Dak, have him make one start, and then send him right back down. I would
2: rather just go ahead and Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I'm the biggest Dak
4: well, that's Advocate. what I'm saying. I, yeah. I would start I would start Woodford rather would, than I bring do up Libertor. Lever- no, no,
3: I would, I would, I would do I would get Lever- that Fresh Arm this yeah. weekend and then I would refresh it again like you probably send jojo romero spot down in that scenario or maybe a tennis soccer whoever's not performing you've got options there's
2: no point in starting jake woodford again like i know what he's done give me a matthew libertor start on this road and let's see what he has to offer so i can have a little bit more confidence moving into the deeper portion of the season
4: i i just know the way that they are about some of these things and it feels like one of those where they would say would rather him just continue to stay in a rhythm down in memphis continue to pitch rather than come up for one game make one start and then go right back down
3: i agree
2: last year they did that and that's fine that they they think that way. It's a wrong decision.
4: Yeah, but Libertor wasn't pitching the way he was now. Like Libertor was struggling, and I I don't think he ever made like one starting game. Right went right back down. I guess maybe a doubleheader, but I I don't know. That just feels like something that they would possibly say as reason not to bring him up. Because I, I mean I don't disagree. Libertor is definitely the best arm to call up to make that next start. But I'm just trying to have the perspective of. Hey, if I am the St. Louis Cardinals, do we really want to do that with Matthew Liberatore? Call him up, make one start, and send him right back but what's down. The, what's the downside? I, that's of that. what I was about to say. What, why not do that? What, I, I think it's just because I think you just want him continuing to stay in a rhythm down in Memphis rather than going quickly up to the big leagues, going right back down. to But it's to the same F. rhythm what's though. If you wait
3: until his fifth, the fifth day
4: for I'm his start, I am just telling you what the St. Louis Cardinals might say. Well, I mean, some of their decisions incorrect. have well, not let, made let, sense. Let, let's
3: let's let's go through this though, because I find it to be an interesting conversation. Like, what is the downside to that? I actually completely agree with Alex. What's the it, like, I if think, you were, I to, think if you were fear, to explain the Cardinals' perspective on this, whether it's yours or not, it doesn't much matter. If you were to explain the Cardinals' perspective on it, why is that a problem for Matthew Libertor to come up, make one start in a spot where you think he can and probably will be better than what you're getting currently from Jake Woodford, and it tests his stuff against the opponents that he's eventually going to have to be able to beat?
4: I think the fear the Cardinals would have would be that it's called up, it's a bad outing, and then you lose some of that confidence as you send them right back down to AAA. I think that would be their fear. But, I I mean, I don't disagree. I I think you want to see him up here. But I think if you want to see Matthew Libertor up here, you want to see him through a longer stretch, not just one game in sample size and then send him right back down to Memphis. But the only way that happens this year is with an injury. I know, and I think that's
2: the spot they're at with the rotation. But if I'm the Cardinals, I look at this and say, like, I want to figure out not so much what the— I mean, yeah, you want to figure out what his pitch has to do, but I also would like to— see where your mental game is at because that's a perfect aspect of it if you want to be a part of this rotation next season how do you respond when you have a bad outing and you get sent back down and look if you respond poorly then okay we kind of know where you're at and not so much you get to work on your schematics of your pitches but you need to work on the mental game because it's going to be very important for you to
3: have that in the right mindset going into next season when ollie marmel explained why jordan walker was making the big league club on opening day that that Recorded conversation that they had it wasn't because of all of the stuff that he did well early on in the season or in the in spring training. It was because of the way that he responded to the adversity that he hit by the end of spring training. That's something I want to see with Matthew Libertore. Yeah. last year when he got into a tough spot. It felt like it was kind of like this Cardinals team all season long so far in 2023 where it would snowball on itself and he couldn't find a way out of it. I want to find out if he can get out of those situations this year. If that velocity that we've seen in the minors can translate to the big league level. If that curveball that does look more crisp this year is going to play as well against big league opponents as it has so far this year against minor league opponents. I don't know when the next opportunity is that you're going to have to be able to utilize him in this rotation. Eventually, somebody's probably going to get hurt, but it's kind of hard to plan for that. Right. So right now, you've got a spot. We're, there is a spot open next week against the San Francisco Giants if you don't want to have Jake Woodford make that start. I would go to Matthew Libertor in that spot. There's nobody else from AAA that you're giving that spot to. Nobody. I think Matthew Libertor is deserving of it. He has pitched well so far down in AAA. I'll be curious to see how the Cardinals view that as well. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. The fast lane has Craig Bruby coming up at 2.15. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow here
0: on 101 ESPN.